Good morning, everybody. Top of the morning to you. It's Monday morning, ah, day one of five. Welcome to the program, everybody. This is the show where we give you the tools, the ideas, the stuff you need to get through this crazy thing we call life. And man, have we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, in this first hour, uh, just getting all the latest, uh, you know, political headlines. Next hour, we'll be getting into uh, seven ways to overcome shyness and social anxiety. So if you have any fears, concerns, any worries, you know, and it impacts your ability to get a job, to stay, you know, in a situation socially, to connect with other people, that'll be a great topic for you. And in the third hour, Kim Giles, our one of our uh, great uh, relationship coaches, life coaches, will be joining us. She is from Clarity Point Coaching, and we'll be getting into that. Holy cow. Okay. Super big shout out to all farmers, gardeners, anybody that does any type of landscaping or yard care, because I had the worst weekend of my life. I decided that it was time for me to rototill my weed garden. A lot of people don't grow weed gardens. Uh, That seems to be the only thing I can grow. And for about the last 10 years, I've been nailing it. Tons of uh, weeds. I'm basically getting rid of my garden and planting grass because grass I can do. I can mow it. Actually, I don't even have to mow it anymore. I can have my kids mow it. Life is good. I spent five hours, four and a half hours, rototilling a big, huge wad of weeds. And really, it wasn't really rototilling. It was more me hanging onto the back of a rototiller while I was flopping all over my garden. It was like WrestleMania with the rototiller. And, uh, you know, not to brag, but I'm pretty, pretty strong guy. And I pulled every muscle in my body. <laughs> every muscle. Uh, both of them. Just pulled them left and right. <laughs> it's like a mother. So I, uh, you know, servants asked me how was Father's Day. And I'm like, I don't remember. It's all a blur because of five hours on Saturday. <sighs> Seriously. Why? Why weeds? It's in the Bible. God gave us, you know, by the sweat of your brow, holy cow, by the sweat of my brow did I wrestle that silly little rototiller. And you'd think with technology like a rototiller, this would be a lot easier. No, 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 it's hard. Anyway, so a shout out to anybody, a farmer, a gardener, anybody, uh, you know, somebody that works a jackhammer all day. You have my respect. From here on out, the Matt Townsend Show respects you <laughs> because I'm pathetic. I sit in a chair. I talk into a microphone. And a roto killer kills me. Ah! Anyway, that's about all I got to say about that. So let's just uh, keep moving. <laughs> Let's go to the headlines. And uh, you know what else? Let me just say this before we go to headlines. Uh, God bless America. Because I had a neighbor that lended. I didn't even own a rototiller. He lent me the rototiller. I couldn't start it because I didn't know you had to, like, turn a button. So I tried to start the rototiller. He lent me. He saw me out there struggling. He came over. He turned the button, started it right up. 
Pathetic. Kathy Aiken, let's do the headlines. Good morning, Matt. Sorry, got to put the right, right button there. The search for two New York prison escapees moved in a new direction overnight as a manhunt enters day 16. Police say forensic evidence has been found just miles from the prison in a mountainous area west of the facility, this after a break-in at a cabin. And CBS News confirms a second employee at the prison may have been involved in the escape plot and has been suspended from his job. The Emanuel AME Church opened its doors again yesterday, the first worship service held after a gunman fatally shot nine people there last week. Hundreds of worshipers filled the pews remembering the victims of the massacre. Every Charlton church and nearly 100 more across the country rang church bells at 10 a.m. Eastern time as a symbol of solidarity. The alleged shooter Dylan Roof confessed to the crime last week. In a manifesto reportedly written by Roof, he mentions a white, uh, white supremacist group led by Earl Holt. Holt, president of the Council of Conservative Citizens, has reportedly donated $65,000 to Republicans. Among those are presidential candidates Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and Rick Santorum. Cruz's presidential campaign said it would return all of the money the senator received from Holt's organization. More severe storms are expected in the plains before plowing into the Midwest today. According to the Weather Channel, there's an Elevated tornado risk primarily in southern Wisconsin and Michigan. Illinois, Iowa, and Indiana Indiana are also in danger of seeing twisters. The body of Walter Scheib, the former White House chef, was found yesterday. Scheib had been missing since June 13th after he went hiking in New Mexico. His body was found in the mountains near Taos. Apple Music will now pay artists during the 90-day free trial period of its new music streaming service. This after Taylor Swift complained about the situation to Apple. Eddie Q, Apple's senior vice president of Internet Software and Services, said they've changed their tune and will now pay the artist during that free trial period. And 21-year-old Jordan Spieth became the youngest U.S. Open champion since Bobby Jones in 1923 when he won the major tournament yesterday by one stroke over, over Dustin Johnson. Spieth also became just the sixth player to win the Masters and U.S. Open in the same year. Johnson, who had a chance to win it, three-putted on 18 and missed six putts inside 10. 10 feet on the back nine. Did you watch that, Matt? I didn't. I was um, recuperating. I was in... Um... <laughs> From the rototilling experience? <laughs> Two yeah. muscles, though. That's impressive. Well, That's yeah. Impressive. I used to have yeah. three, but I'm pretty sure I pulled one. <laughs> totally out. So I'm down to two. Spieth killing it, man. That's two... That's. That's a rare thing, That right? is extremely rare. Yeah, the, the youngest to win since uh, 1923. And he is he's on a roll. So the next one up is the Open. Yes. They call it the Open. I say the British Open, but that's in uh, St. Andrews next month. Which is uh, – I spent some really great time yesterday with a couple from England. Oh, did you? And they just uh, – I don't care what you say. They just – there's just – everything seems classier there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the, it's it's the, the accent. It's the accent, but then even their golf courses look horrible. Yeah, looks like the one they played this weekend at uh-huh. the U.S. Open, yeah. that Lynx style, yeah. What is that? I mean, it's like, I guess it's just everything goes. Like, I mean, it looked like, some of it looked like my yard. You could have rototilled I, there you and, have and no. really probably helped them out just Actually, a bit. I probably couldn't have <laughs> because I don't think I can rototill again. That well, was like, have you done that? I have. But you probably had nice, pristine soil. You know, we don't. Where we live, it's really rocky. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it hits those rocks mm. and you have to, yeah, that's, okay. that's hard. And stop, it, that stop, hurts. stop, stop. Don't so talk that ruined about. your Father's Day, I take it? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. It was actually the day before and then it ruined my day because I just sat there like thinking, wow, this is what work felt like for, I still feel it. You know what though? 
let's see, two more days? Yeah. You're going to have an absolute incredible I know. Two days. I have a son coming home from uh, Mexico after two years serving an LDS mission. I know that is the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest thing. I've had two sons return, and it's seeing them come home is just, oh, it's the greatest thing. thing. All I want to do is take him to eat and just eat. Eat eat. American food. Yeah. I wonder what he wants. Has he said what he wants? He hasn't. But if I'm a betting man, it involves a buffet. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's going to be, be, yeah, a buffet. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your experience because it really is just a wonderful, wonderful day. I just, I hope I recovered by then because it'd be horrible to have your whole reunion ruined by a rototiller. Exactly. Well, and he comes up to hug you, and you're just those two muscles are going to be you know, oh, so painful. Don't touch, don't touch that me. muscle. Don't hug me. Then you're going to want to hug him. You're going to hug him they, so hard. These missionaries do a really good uh, abrazo. Yeah. Is that what abrazo? Yeah, big hug. Um, and by the way, uh, my rototiller once got hooked on a uh, on a on a cha- on a, a uh, fence. What's it called? Um, Chain link fence. No, uh, a barbed wire fence. Oh, and it, it took me it fl- it took me flying there. You know, take... I would just love if your wife one of these days would secretly film this on your phone, oh, yeah. you know, put it on YouTube or yeah. Facebook. She, you wouldn't be able to see me because I was just in a big <laughs> cloud of dirt. Holy cow. It'd still be worth it. I'd love to see it. Oh, Kathy. Great job on the news. Thanks for embarrassing me, bringing up my pain again. Anyway, great show for you today. Uh, Joe Cannon will be joining us after this break. We're talking the... Uh, the political world, holy cow, the whole uh, Charleston, South Carolina, that has, that's created some issues. Is it really, is it really an issue of uh, guns? Is it an issue of black, riot, black, white that we need to figure out? Is it the issue of mental health? Is it the issue of freedom of speech? What is the real topic? Are we going to let even our politicians sort it out? Or are they all jumping on the bandwagon to get some some gain? We're going to be talking about that all with our great uh, friend Joe Cannon up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on Mondays, we like uh, after, you know, the weekend when all the news stations have been doing their political work. We like to bring on our own little Washington insider. Joe Cannon joins us. He's chairman of the Utah. He was chairman back in the, the day of the Utah Republican Party. He also was a candidate for U.S. Senate. He served as an assistant administrator to the U.S. EPA Environmental Protection Agency uh, under Reagan and also was named editor of Deseret News. Um, so, so he's kind of got a, a little bit of journalism in, uh, in, in his background. Some political uh, work, but he's he's very well networked. Today he is a CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can find at fuelfreedom.org, trying to lower the cost of fuel for all Americans here in the United, in the United States. And uh, Joe Cannon, we welcome you to the show. How are you, friend? Hey, Matt. Great. Thanks for having me again. You, you bet. You bet. Uh, what uh, What are you thinking about this whole reaction to Charleston? Charleston. Um, uh, so Charleston, South Carolina. It's such a, um, it's it's a tragedy. And then when I, anytime I hear a politician talk about it, it just feels wrong. Is that weird? You know, it is weird. And I think the people in Charleston have kind of reacted the same way. Say, look, everyone stay away. This is our tragedy. Yeah. It is a deep tragedy. 
let's not do anything more than understand that it was a tragedy. I think one of the things I did hear commentators uh, all across the spectrum were stunned at the deeply, deeply Christian reaction yes. of the of the victims, of the victims and their families. Uh, it was uh, they were just touched, uh, you know, especially touched for people who profess to be not religious at all. Right, just saying, you know, I, I can't believe this reaction. So, you know, the thing in the law, there's a, a phrase called "race ipsa locator." The thing speaks for itself. Hmm. It was a horrible, you know, unspeakable tragedy. Um, and, you know, not sure there's a political response to that kind of evil. Right, right. And it's almost like, you know, the president came out, he made a comment, his was more directed toward guns. But it's almost like you could take this anywhere you want, from mental health to guns to race to um, even to now, they're, they're announcing that uh, the group that had a manifesto that the shooter had bought into and was was pushing, there was an organization that that was run by a man named Earl Holt who had been donating to Rick Santorum, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul. So now, so now this guy that basically was, uh, I don't know, feeding some of the, the shooter's thoughts— um, is now seen as a big supporter of Republicans. What, what do you think that's going to do, if anything? Well, I mean, at one level, everything's political. And, of course, uh, you're, the adversaries are going to, uh, these very, these people are going to use it. That's what they're, that's what they do when you're, when everything is political to you. I will say, uh, this past week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I was at a, meeting in Washington, D.C., actually, some people there, the Faith and Freedom Coalition, which is run by Ralph Reed, are actually supporters of our foundation. And so I attended their annual meeting and heard most of the presidential candidates, and most of them were deeply, including Rand Paul, including Ben Carson, including Rick Santorum, they were all deeply, deeply touched and and moved by this whole tragedy and I, I just felt, you know, these are Christian people, right? Uh, but professed Christian. I, I'm not talking about the candidates, although they were Christian too. Yeah. But the people there, you know, many pastors and leaders, it profoundly touched and affected them. I mean, they really felt pain. I mean, almost every session began with a, a moment of uh, silence, and and there were multiple prayers. Uh, offered up for the families. It was very, very touching. And, you know, to me, to, to turn this into a political opportunity is really repugnant. Hmm. I mean, uh, just really repugnant. And it, yeah, I think you're right. It seemed like the press didn't quite know how to respond to the incredible uh, Christian, I guess, loving, forgiving response of the people of South Carolina. I mean, You'd hear in all of these shows on Sunday, well, yeah, that was a beautiful response, and but you still got to fight the gun issue, or you still got to fight the. So is 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 this type of an issue something that politics can do anything about anyway? Because it seems like everyone's just going to pick their pet peeve, whether it's the guns or the flag or uh, the South Carolina flag or gun violence. I mean. Can we leave this up to them, to the politicians, or 
you know how no, do we I mean, how do we go take do something healthy out of this well i i don't know i mean the, the simple fact is there's evil in the world that's just a fact yeah and it can't it's not going to be eradicated by human kind uh, you know there's a there's a divine answer and response to evil in the world uh so you know i don't know People say you should ban guns. If you ban guns, then there wouldn't be this problem. But it's simply not true. Right. Uh, people will find a way to kill other people, when, especially when they're demented, uh, like this guy. Yeah. Ra- racism is a really, really bad problem. Uh, yeah, there's no question. We, we shouldn't have any sympathy for racism. But there's still going to be racist. And, you know, the, the, the best way, honestly, to, for me, my takeaway on this whole thing was, the reaction of that congregation should set an example for all of us of that, of that kind of Christian, uh, deep Christian response. Yeah, I mean, don't you think that's that? And that was really unsolicited. That was just natural was, believers an, going to their God. An, out, an outgrowth of uh, it was an actual manifestation of their, their deeply held Christian belief. And I look at it, and the president comes out. He has this incredible moment, I think, to 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 do something, and he turns it into a gun discussion. Which, again, if we if we couldn't if we after Sandy Hook Elementary, where twenty children were were shot fatally and six adult adult staff members were killed, if we couldn't do something about guns for that, then then this isn't. This isn't the thing either. I mean, it's it's almost like we just don't know what to do. And we I, I don't know. I think we need a leader to stand up. What is interesting to me, though, about the flag issue, the South Carolina flag that is uh, for so many, it's just it just carries so much of a racist, um, you know, positioning and, and symbolism. But there's something about not being a being a politician that's actually not in the race like Mitt Romney came right out he seems like to be the only republican that was able to come out and just say get rid of the flag bring it down get rid of that flag is there i mean it, none of the other it seems like republicans dare to just shoot straight on it well yeah because you're not running for anything you have lots of latitude yeah he's free as a bird to talk but uh, but i will say i i would associate myself with uh with Mitt's views on this, yeah. the, the fact is the flag that that flag it's not just repugnant to African Americans. The simple fact of the matter is that belief that's behind that flag led to the bloodiest war in the history of the United States. Mm. And I know Abraham Lincoln, in the second inaugural address, reached out with malice toward none, with charity toward all. And that's my view, too. But the fact of the matter is, that's a symbol of repression. It's a symbol of people who are willing to lead this country into hell. Uh, and, you know, it might be time to recognize that we're all Americans now. That, you know, it might be time to put that civil war behind us. Yeah. Well, and it was actually, wasn't the flag, wasn't the flag actually removed and not used until about the 60s? Then it was brought out again during the civil rights movement. To kind of to bring back that that anger, uh, that. I, I didn't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. But I, I didn't know that. Cause I, yeah. I thought that the remnants of that Confederate flag were in plenty of Southern state flags. Mm. 
You know, but I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not an expert in that for sure. But um, and this is really a great uh, void. It seems like where leaders could step up. This is a position. And, and maybe that's what they're trying to do by going to all of these other position issues. But, I mean, we need a better discussion about race. We need a better discussion in our world, in our community, about mental health issues. I mean, how does a 21-year-old end up believing these ideas and thinking he's the only one that's courageous enough to act? It's, it's, there's, there's other issues going on. Where do you, where do you sense is, – is, is that going to come – from a politician, do you believe? Or where do you think in today's day and age, who's going to be the flag bearer of of better discussions? Yeah. Well, uh, Is that the job of the press? Well, you'd hope that there would be better discussions of race. And it seems like most discussions of race these days tend to immediately leap to the polarization as opposed to how can we really work together uh, in a multiracial way, A. B, uh, what are the real undergirding problems? So this guy had clearly on psychological problems. The, the problems that many African-Americans face are very systemic, uh, but you know, there, 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 there should be a question. Why is there more crime? What can we do about crime in the inner cities? What can you do about it? Yeah. There, there, there are good productive things that you can talk about, but that's true. Yeah. Uh, even the issue of gun, gun control, I mean, uh, uh, I, I hate that it's always brought up in this, in this kind of a context, but, uh, you know, that's a perfectly normal thing for people to talk about. There, there, there are deeply drawn uh, opinions on both sides of this, okay? But it could... You know, to bring it up in a in a in a moment that is so polarizing and uh, and, and there's so much anger, I don't think really forwards the discussion. It, 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 they, a lot of these seem like appeals to the base on both sides. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, appeals to the political base, and um, you know, that's not generally that's not going to be lead to productive discussions. Mm. Um, it really is. It's that. It's that tough. You know, everyone just everyone's kind of looking out for themselves, and we need we, we need to somehow further that. Let's take a break again. We're talking with Joe Cannon from FuelFreedom.org. dot uh, org. He is our political insider, giving us the insight. Uh, you know, he this is the guy that goes places the rest of us just don't go. He's got some pretty pretty good friends that are in the know. And uh, when we come back, I want to find out about what his take on Trump is. Is it possible that Trump could be a third party candidate? You know, that could be an interesting little thing. Become the next uh, Ross Perot. <laughs> they, they have a lot of commonalities. Also want to find out what he thinks about Bernie Sanders' uh, latest poll uh, numbers. He seems to be doing pretty well. All things politics up next right here. Stay with us on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, helping uh, to, to lower the cost of fuel here in the United States. Why not? Just, you know, if your car already runs on unleaded, let's just lower the prices. Let's figure out a way to do that. That is what uh, Joe's trying to do with Fuel Freedom Foundation. He's our Washington insider. 
He's been a, a chairman, a party leader here in Utah, but he's also been a candidate for Senate. He's also um, served on the EPA as an as an assistant administrator under Reagan, and um, just you know, he just knows what he's talking about. Joe Cannon, welcome back, friend. Hey, thanks, thanks, Matt. I mean, I know you hate us, you know, playing you, yeah, but <laughs> you're the real deal. Hey, what did you think when Donald Trump jumped in? Man, he jumped in. <laughs> He he like jumped in. To me, he's he's a loose he's a loose cannon. No offense it's to the okay. cannon it's family. Cannon. It's okay. I've, I've uh, been called that many times myself. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. He offended Mexico. Uh, the, the, he offended, the worst, uh, worst buffoonery come to mind. The word. The, the problem is, um, he really does think he's the smartest guy in the world. Yeah, and he's been very successful. Uh, so. He's also been spectacularly unsuccessful in some things too. Sure, you know he's gone through multiple bankruptcies as a company, as a company. But, but here's the thing: you need to be a little bit humble. It's hard to say that because most political candidates, by definition, they're you they're know, not kind of proud because right. they want to they want to office, but. Uh, you know, he just doesn't come across as a very uh, humble, likable guy. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so he it, – it's great if you want to say outrageous things. Fine. That's, that's, you know, but when you, and when you think that just saying outrageous things for the sake of saying outrageous things qualifies you to run for president, that's really crazy. Well, well so you I, know he's rich, right? I mean, he mentioned that a few times. Yeah, you know, so I'm he very can't be rich. bought. We get, we get it that he can't be bought, but I'm not sure who wants to buy him. Yeah, <laughs> but he 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 he's really a name kind of dropper, isn't he? But he, I don't know if you heard this too, but he says, "I will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created." Right, right. I heard that. <laughs> no, I, li- I I painfully a lot of times. I, I listen to everyone. Yeah. Uh, the both both Democrat and Republican. Sometimes I can't, you know, I miss it for some reason. But I I try to get it on C-SPAN. But yeah, no, I listened to the whole thing, and uh, I had friends who were there, and it was like, you know, the, his his, you know, he just he doesn't stick to stick to a script. Oh. He just figures, hey, you know, I'm the smartest guy in the world. You guys should be so lucky that I'm willing to come down. And run for this little office as the president for for you for you kids. Yeah, but here's a guy who's so smart and uh, full of himself. He can't even change his hair. <laughs> his hair is just. I'm yeah, sorry. but it's all real it's because. Kind of embarrassing. Yeah, he had uh, Joe Scarborough's uh, uh, co-host Mika. I think her name is or Nika. He's had her actually feel his hair to prove that it was real. Um, but he's the most successful person ever to run for presidency by far. He pointed out that he owns a Gucci store that's worth more than Romney. I mean, he just went down the list just berating everybody. So here's the question. Um, one thing that I think a lot of people like about him is he just says it. He doesn't dance. So there's, you know, he, he doesn't, he wouldn't have a lot of grace in handling like a major issue. But he does. He is going to demand kind of a level of directness that I don't know that we've ever seen since Ross Perot. Is yeah, that good? Are, of course, there are a lot of Ross Perot analogies that people are raising. Yeah. Back then, yeah. Uh, I, I think he is more secure than Ross Perot was in his own 
Right, and Ross Perot seemed to be a little bit, in my mind, a little, a little bit paranoid, yeah. very yeah. conspiracy theorist. But but Ross Perot elected William Jefferson Clinton. No, exactly. That's what uh, I'm wondering is if he's not going to align with the Republicans, uh, then could he just be a third party candidate that does tip over the apple cart? Yeah, I I I don't know, of course, but I don't think so for this reason. Many Republicans are saying. We just need to win, and we can't afford a third party. And I mentioned this. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sitting in an airport. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Back on uh, the uh, uh, a number of people where I was at. Some of them want a third party, and all the speakers uniformly. Phyllis Schlafly was there. She spoke, and a number of the presidential candidates addressed the issue of a third party, and they just know that the third mm. party is uh, death. And so I think that the, the, the pro experience itself weighs heavily on people saying, look, okay, we have a third party. We can feel really virtuous that we voted. We didn't vote for the lesser of two evils, but depending on how you, you view this thing, a lot of those people feel really sorry that they ended up electing Bill Clinton. Right. Bill Clinton had a good, good presidency, but if you're a Republican, you're saying, really, did I just, did I help elect him by, by, because I didn't want to vote for uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. So I, I don't think a that he uh, that Trump will be that. B he uh, Perot actually had a political following. He actually worked the trenches. He he had a, a political following. I don't right. think Trump has a political following. No, but he ha- he does have so, name recognition and kind of a public persona. You know he has he has a he has an image that no 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 question about that he does. Uh, but could not be galvanized yeah. into a political party or political <laughs> movement. I don't know. I mean, he, he. I think he literally offended everyone. He offended <laughs> everyone. Even he even just made fun of Jeb Bush because he wasn't wearing a tie when he announced. Like you got to yeah, wear a I tie. Mean, he, yeah, he sat down basically and said, "Who? Yeah, who? Who's out there? And how can I differentiate myself from them? The way I could do it is." By condescending, demeaning, uh-huh. cutting remarks, and you know, just self-aggrandizement for himself. And I know, even for a politician, it was over the top. <laughs> well, I do too. And I think, though, it's it almost seems like the the Democrats. It seems for sure Saturday Night Live, John Stewart, all those guys are like, yes, this is perfect. Is it? Does it just make the Republican side look like that much more? Of a just an embarrassment now, more of the clown car, you know, motif that they've been laughing about. Yeah, it could, but every every candidate gave him exactly what he gave them. I mean, yeah. he's getting no respect among uh, the party apparatus, and certainly not any of the other candidates. I mean, no one's taking him seriously as a Republican. Yeah, he's going to run as a Republican because he's more Republican than Democrat, but you still have to win. You have to have some kind of rootedness in uh, in, in the party. you got to have some followers. Yeah. Uh, and he basically alienated. Everybody likes one of those candidates to some degree or another. Uh, and, you know, so he, just, he not only alienated, you know, offended the candidates, but a lot of the people who's you know, support those candidates. They're looking at him. Well, who are you to be saying that? You look uh-huh. like a goofball yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Bush didn't wear a tie, but you know, he combed his hair. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's where it's that's where it's going to be interesting. And I think 
Who knows? You know, he hasn't even, I guess, filed all the paperwork yet. So he made an announcement, but he hasn't filed the requisite paperwork. We'll see. We'll see. It's interesting. He's he's above all that. Oh, yeah. His people will get to that. It's interesting uh, when you look at what's happening on the Democratic side. Bernie Sanders is packing them in. He is he's he's getting some really good poll ratings, but he's also he's also having I think he just held what they're calling is uh, for the entire political season so far the, the greatest turnout of people. And he didn't have to pay for any of his. What do you think's going on with Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton? Well, Bernie Sanders is the not Hillary. He's, yeah, he the anti-Hillary. And, yeah. and so, you know, if you're not for Hillary and you're looking for somebody, uh, you know, he, unlike Trump, he has a definite, well-defined political philosophy, political ideology, and it resonates with a very significant piece of the base of, uh, of uh, the Democrat Party, especially the ones, you know, who, who are in the candidate selection process. So, you know... Uh, Probably about a third of the people in Iowa and and New Hampshire like him. Uh, I heard one pollster, Ed Goas, who's a, a very smart guy, he's on the Republican side, but that he predicted last week that Bernie Sanders is going to win hmm. both of the the first two primaries. Well, is he really? The yeah, and that's that'd be amazing. But I, I think I think it's possible. But then he then he said. Um, then he'd be out of money. Then he, then, he, then he said, then Democrats will wake up and say, really? Are we going to nominate Bernie Sanders? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that? But, I mean, again, he's, he's I, I don't know, New Hampshire's right next to, near the near Vermont where he's from, right? So that's probably pretty helpful. And I think it is. I think it's just people, you know, they like that he comes out with opinions and he's really, truly campaigning. It was an interesting thing. I, I think the biggest beneficiary, just for sort of the biggest beneficiary of all this, is Martin O'Malley. Yeah. He just has to be not Hillary and not Bernie, and a guy who's been governor and a guy who's a you know, pretty attractive uh, guy, uh, especially he's now definitively running to the left of Hillary, kind of finding that space in between Bernie Sanders and, and Hillary. And, uh, you know, if she doesn't outright win in Iowa and New Hampshire and O'Malley comes in respectably at all, Mm-hmm. It could be it could be very interesting. It's um it's it's such an it's going to be a, I think a fascinating race. There's just so many different angles, so many different things that could happen. What do you what's your take uh, on the Pope coming out and so strongly you know on environmentalism and and protecting the earth? Is that I mean a lot of people are like you know crying foul like stay out of it. Um, what's what's your take on that? Should the well, should the Pope be as politically driven as he not politically, but I mean this is a political issue. Well, it, it is a political issue, but I will say I read very substantial chunks uh, over the weekend of that encyclical. He he grounds it very. If, you, if you, people take the time to read it, uh, he's grounding it in a lot of Roman Catholic history. Hmm. Uh, he the first, you know he quotes Pope John Paul II. He quotes. Uh, um, uh, he quotes several popes, uh, yeah. modern and former popes, and some popes thought to be on the conservative side of things that, that talk about the importance of uh, protecting the earth. So he, it's it's more grounded theologically than I think people think. Yeah. The irony for me is is that lots of the 
left were embracing it. Now he's he's a hero of of the uh, you know green movement, but he spends an awful lot of time in there talking about the importance of large families and having babies and why life is important and family is important. Uh, so there's hmm. there's more in there than just I mean it's it's a uh, it's the copy I read it's like 185 pages long. Yeah, I read somebody else it's like 300 pages. I guess it, it depends on the pages configuration in your uh, the computer, but but uh, you know it's a deeply well rooted in Catholic theology. So I don't think he's necessarily making a political statement. Having having said that, I, I would say that. Um, uh, he had to have known that he's moving into a deeply politically charged uh, debate. And it's not just political in the United States. It's, it's just a worldwide issue where you've got the developed countries saying, wow, we've got a really big problem here. And you've got the developing countries that absolutely need power. Uh, you know, 80% of the people in Tanzania don't have electricity. Right, right. And, and, and you know, so you're having these developed countries say to those countries, I'm sorry, too late, you know. Mm-hmm. If you have energy, you know, you're going to have to have solar or wind, but you're not going to have any fossil fuel energy and, and no nuclear either. And both of those are really going to hammer the people in the developing countries. And, in fact, both China and India are saying no. They're saying no in very polite ways, like China's saying, well, you know what, we realize it's a big problem, and in 20 or 30 years, we'll decide what to do about it. But hmm. we're not going to change our strategy right now. It, that's it. That's an interesting take on it. That, I mean, to some degree, you, as you're, as, if you are the great spiritual leader of the Catholic Church, your job would be to preserve everything. The poor, uh, you know, the innocent, and the earth. And it's interesting, John Kasich actually came out and commented on what the Pope had said. I don't know if you heard this, that the environment shouldn't be worshipped. That is called pantheism. But then if you listen to what he said, he's like, but the Pope's Pope's just trying to be a steward. He's just trying to take care of, you know, the world. Well, when you read, when you read the encyclical, that's a lot what it sounds like. Yeah. He named himself St. Francis. It's very interesting how grounded, how rooted this is in St. Francis of Assisi's actual yeah. views. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, that's that was his, I, that was his model. That was his uh, Jesuit leader. Um, well, we appreciate you, uh, Joe. Ta- anything that we need to be focusing on? Anything we need to be watching for? No, nothing that I can think of. I mean, there, there are plenty of things to, to talk about. I mean, I'm, I'm still, as I said in the some programs in the past, very concerned about the the rise of anti-Semitism in the world in general and in, in the U.S. in particular. But um, maybe that's that's a, a topic for another show. Yeah, you know what? I I agree, and I think in fact we really just need to go in depth on it. Um, in fact, we, we probably ought to just have you do that next time. Joe, you're the best, and uh, keep uh, travel safely. Keep uh, keep keep your ear out. You know, you're the only insider we've got. Keep it up. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much. Good talking to you. You bet, Joe Cannon. Thank you very much again. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. Uh, just a wonderful uh, opportunity, I think, to, to learn more about what's going on with fuel prices, how we can lower them, what we could be doing, and how you can support some of the work that uh, they're doing there at Fuel Freedom Foundation. We'll take a break. When we come back, we've got a great segment uh, 
to help you see the good in the world. It's some wonderful work put together by Kathy Aiken about the good that is actually going on day in and day out if you're looking for it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we have a new segment called uh, Seeing the Good in the World, put together by Kathy Aiken, and she's here to uh, help us see that, you know, there's a lot going on that's positive in the world if you just look for it. That's right. Matt, ever had a favorite waiter or waitress you can remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've only had a couple, so I really want to give a shout-out to Kayla Lane. She's at the Westside Cafe in Fort Worth, Texas, and recently she reached into her own pocket to help a grieving couple. 21-year-old Kayla Lane is a big-time people person. The waitress loves her job at Westside Cafe in Fort Worth, Texas. Country cooking, so like a bunch of fried stuff, chicken fried steak, chicken fried chicken, you know, pork chops, some steaks. Yeah, it's really good. But the best part of her job? My customers are definitely the best thing about that place. We have so many regular customers, so many. That's what we are consistent of, I mean, our, our regulars. Two of the cafe's regulars are Sean and Debbie Riddle. A few months ago, the parents of four brought along their newest addition, baby daughter Glory. I recognized them every time, but the first time I really made contact with them was a couple months ago um, when they were sitting actually far in the back room and I had seen their baby girl come in with them and I had to go stalk over her. And the baby was obviously gorgeous and newborn. I mean, brand thinking new, so... That's really all I remember. But the Riddles came in recently without their baby. Lane helped them to their table. I really just greeted them as I normally do. You know, hey guys, how how are y'all? And they said, you know, we're good. Didn't y'all have a baby last time y'all were here? You know, I think I said, don't y'all have a child? And they said, we actually have four. Oh, wow. I just remember y'all coming in with a baby last time, you know, and I kind of look at them and they're... They're very quiet to each other, and I just, I don't say anything else because I'm thinking, what is going on? What happened? You know, what did I just bring upon myself? And they, Sean then tells me, yeah, she passed away four weeks ago. And at that moment, I was just, I was in awe. I felt, I felt terrible for asking because they think about it all the time, I know, but just someone else bringing it up is, I feel even more difficult to have to say that their baby had passed. Baby Glory passed away at just nine weeks of age while taking a nap. They weren't angry at me for asking. They were actually thankful. They said, you know, thank you for remembering her. Like, I really appreciate that. We really do appreciate you remembering her. It means that she really put an impact on you, which she did. So much so, Lane decided to do something. She came back to their table with their bill. I wrote, we are terribly sorry for your loss. Your ticket has been paid for. We are terribly sorry for your loss. God bless the West Side. But the cafe didn't pay. It was Lane. I set the ticket down on the table, and um, then then Sean was showing me pictures of baby Glory, which I thought, I'm just sitting there thinking, wow, I couldn't have paid for anyone a better couple's meal. I could not have paid for it because they're sitting here confiding in me and talking to me, and I felt so trustworthy, like they just completely trusted me, and that was an amazing feeling. And for them to show me pictures of her, it was just awesome. That wasn't the first time Lane had paid a stranger's bill. This college student has done it many times before, especially for single mothers, those from the military, and local firefighters and policemen. Those are really the people that I do it for, just because I feel like they're underappreciated, especially veterans. They're very under underappreciated. And that small, kind gesture is 
It's so easy to do. It's so easy to do, and it makes someone's day, and it really does. It gives people hope, like, oh, hey, someone really does appreciate me and appreciates what I've done, and it's true, we do. The Riddles especially appreciate Lane, so much so they've become like family. And as a 21-year-old continues school, she'll also be on the lookout to help others who come into the Westside Cafe. We're all a community, whether it's Fort Worth or all of Texas or all of the United States or the whole world. We are all a community, a very big community. But we all need to pick each other up when we're down and need to help each other through the struggles. This small gesture that I've done, I never thought that it would get this big or help the riddles as much as it has, but it really did help them a lot. And that's amazing to me. That's a realization for me, for myself as well, that, wow, really, I do impact people with this small, small thing. And it's not hard. You can, you can do it anywhere. You can go into your time anywhere with just opening a door for an older couple and saying, I hope you'll have a great day, you know? Kayla Lane Mm. from the Westside Cafe in Fort Worth, Texas. If you're around that area, go in, give her a shout out. What a great lady. 21 great, years old. Can you imagine? Here she's a, you know, a poor college <laughs> yeah. student, and she's dipping in her own pockets, paying for more than people's one. bills more than much. Yeah. You know, and like she said, it doesn't take big things to make someone's day. Mm-mm. Open a door. Say hello. Smile to someone. You know, and that's what we're trying well, to do here. Well, how fitting is, after what happened in, Sa- in South Carolina. We are all a community. I was thinking that exact same think? thing. Oh, we needed to hear that after that bad week last week, for and sure. And she just... It, it was just totally from her heart. And it's funny, she, she you know, did that one thing that we all do when we just kind of ask a question before we know the real answer. And she's like, oh, what did I just step into? Exactly. I mean, she obviously didn't know that yeah. what, I mean, that's horrible news. Uh-huh. And you don't, you're not thinking that. And so for her to, you know, go over and beyond, pay their bill, and they've just become like family. Isn't like that, she said, it's just great. That's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. That's why Kayla we do Lane. these. Man, great job, Kathy. Seriously. Ooh, seeing the good in the world. Do you see it right there? Kayla Lane, that's that's the example. We've all got one. In fact, you can be that example today. Go out there. Make it a great day, my friends. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. There you go. Done. Sold. We'll be back next hour for more ideas, more tools uh, to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program, friends. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this show to give you a leg up. In this crazy thing we call life, we want to bring you the news, the information that you need, but also we want to give it some context to make sure that uh, you know what you need to do for your family, for yourself, you know, gaining the the insight you need. Welcome to the program. Today we have got a a great topic. We're going to be getting into um, shyness and social anxiety. Is there a difference between just being shy and having anxiety? Uh, they say about 20% of the population suffers from some form of anxiety, which also many times leads to depression. But then some people are just shy, right? They're just a little anxious. They, you know, they'd rather not be in a, they're an introvert. Maybe they'd rather not 
be, in, you know, put under the, the the light. They don't want to have to be out there in front leading the game. So where do you fit? Are you a shy person? I mean, I know Ben here, the new board op replacing somewhat. No one can replace James. But Ben is trying to. But Ben, are you a shy guy? You seem quiet. Yeah, I'm quiet. I'm not sure if I'm I'm afraid of people, but Well you should be, Ben. Oh. Just <laughs> just letting you know. See that's the that was a role play. Okay. So I was just trying to make you feel uncomfortable. Because I was kind of afraid right there. So. Were you right there you felt fear. Yeah. Yeah. See yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> I mean no harm. But some people are afraid. Some people are ashamed. Some people are some people just have shyness. And a lot of people, you know, don't they they don't know what they are. They just know they don't want to have to go do whatever. They don't want to have to go sign up for school. And a lot of times you don't find out, you know, about yourself till you get a little older. You may have known in high school you were always shy, but you know, you always kind of knew how school goes. It's kind of when you entered out into the big world and everything isn't the same, you start to identify. Man, I'm kind of a I kind of am a shy person. Nobody would think I'm a shy person because I'm so loud and obnoxious. But I tend to be an introvert. I love being alone. It's a beautiful moment when I can just be alone. And maybe it's cuz I'm always doing stuff with other people, but everybody's different. So on the show today, David Shanley's going to be joining us. And uh, he's a counselor and has been a therapist. Um, he's, a, he's a PhD as well in psychology and is an expert in the field. And he wrote an article talking about the seven ways to overcome shyness and social anxiety. We'll be giving you some tools on that. But before we go there, let's go to somebody that is in no way shy. Kathy Aiken and find out the latest headlines. Thank you, Matt. Police have moved their search of the two New York prison escapees after a cabin break-in in a mountainous area west of the facility. Investigators reportedly found DNA from one of the inmates in that cabin. Police have converged on the areas of Mountain View and Owl's Head after the cabin owner saw a single person leaving the scene. At 10 a.m. Eastern Time yesterday, church bells rang throughout Charleston, South Carolina, as worshipers returned to the Emmanuel AME Church, where nine people were killed last week. 21-year-old Dylan Roof confessed to the crime. Reverend Norval Goff led the service. If we are people of faith, we will join hands and begin to work together to forge a new partnership, not them against us, but we are the children of God who will be marching on to victory. Police have called the shooting a hate crime. Earl Holt, the leader of a white supremacist group linked to Roof's manifesto, has reportedly donated tens of thousands of dollars to some Republican campaigns, included our presidential candidates Ted Cruz, Rick Santorum, and Rand Paul. Cruz has said all the money he received from the Council of Conservative Citizens will be returned. More severe storms are expected in the plains before plowing into the Midwest today. According to the Weather Channel, there's an elevated tornado risk primarily in southern Wisconsin and Michigan. Illinois, Iowa, and Indiana are also in danger of seeing twisters. 
Taylor Swift showed just how powerful she is when she wrote a letter to Apple yesterday. Swift complained to the company for not paying music artists during the trial period period of its new streaming music service. It took less than a day for Apple to change the policy, and the artists will now be paid during that trial period. Swift also complained to another popular music streaming service, Spotify, and is refusing to allow her music to be streamed by that company. 21-year-old Jordan Spieth became the youngest U.S. Open champ yesterday since Bobby Jones in 1923 when he won the major tournament yesterday. He defeated Dustin Johnson by one stroke. Johnson had a chance to win on 18, but three-putted the final hole. Here was Spieth after the win. But I was still able to share the, the conclusion of that, being the leader in the clubhouse with my parents. And then once it was over and I got to go out and hug my mom, dad, brother again, it was uh, very, very special. And what a great Father's Day. Spieth finished a five under par and now looks to win his third major when he tees off at the Open in St. Andrews next month. And Matt, you remember on Friday we talked about uh, the oldest woman in the world who died, 116-year-old woman? Yeah, Yeah. Well, yesterday one of uh, San Diego's oldest residents died. It was actually on Friday. Oh, boy. 150-year-old tortoise by the name of Speed. <laughs> he was he was euthanized uh, because of old age. 150. Can you believe? I didn't know they lived that long. Well, how do you know with a turtle? Maybe it's been dead for 20 years in its little body, in its little shell. <laughs> no, I think it was still moving around. Oh, that's, but that, yeah, that's what but they But then they had to euthanize. That's sad. Yeah, I know. I yeah. mean, how, how hard is that to kill a 150-year-old animal? I don't know. I mean, it's got to like be really bad. Really bad, yeah. It's probably just walking into walls and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Matt, but uh, they said the, the zookeepers had been treating Speed's arthritis and other problems with hydrotherapy and physical therapy. I don't know how you'd give a turtle physical therapy. You know what? As a guy that just did four and a half hours of rototilling, mm-hmm. leave me alone. <laughs> you don't want the zookeepers to give you some hydrotherapy no, and physical they, therapy? It's a 150-year-old turtle. It spent its entire life doing hydrotherapy, probably. <laughs> like, get off my back. Let me just sit here and watch TV. What I do is feed it some Cheetos and just put it in front of, you know, yeah. the Brady Bunch. Oh, Cheetos. I think it has got lots of trans fats. Oh, geez. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. I've got a dietitian on board now. But trans fats when you're 150, good for you. Yeah, good for you. It's, Absolutely. That's how you keep the cartilage moving. You know, it's funny. My mother, who's uh, had some health issues, my brother keeps getting on her for, Mom, don't eat that, don't eat that. Or she goes, you know what? Really, I yeah. don't care anymore. That's right. And I just kind of went, yeah. This, if you I know? die with a Twinkie in my hand, yeah. so be Whatever. it. Whatever. Get off my <laughs> The fact is- uh, She'll die happy, right? I'll die very happy. Yeah. And if I die with a Twinkie in my hand, I, I might remember we talked about this last time. My goal is 88. If I could hit 88, that's good. That would be very If good. I can go longer, I'd like to, but I want to be able to talk so that I can say embarrassing things to my family. <laughs> I'm I sure be, you will. I want to be the one they push <laughs> around in a chair. You're doing it now while you're healthy, I know. so come on. But see, if they could push me around in a chair and I just keep saying things and they're like, oh yeah, don't worry about him. He's got dementia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to talk a lot of facts. <laughs> so you, the trans fats, you know, we talk about that. See? It's killing your memory. That's so ex- stop. <sighs> I don't have a memory. I think I tried to actually... You know, I, I have too much to remember, so I just – I try not to remember any of it. I just have, have a, a computer memory. in front you of really me. really do. I have a good memory of stories of old, but data today, I don't know. By the way, you know what I just realized in your story right there? Uh, those two prisoners mm-hmm. from uh, New York, I guess they've gotten 20 miles away and they're, they're in some cabins. That's now they're, they're, they're tracking them right, down. Uh-huh. They're going to get these guys. But the funny thing is their last names are Matt and Sweat. Matt Sweat. Does that go together for you? It seems to. 
I don't know. I'm a very sweaty guy. But um, it's the first time I have heard and, and it actually retained the fact that one's last name is Matt and the other sweat. I've listened to the story 20 times. Why and am I only now getting it? That. I don't know. Maybe it's how you, you do the news. Attention. You do it in such a deeper way. Maybe so. I don't I like know. It. Yeah. Let's hope they find him. I'm amazed they oh. haven't caught him yet. That's, and many people are yeah. out there looking. It's were, you a, were you a fan of the Netflix show uh, Prison Break? Never seen it. Holy cow. I heard that was good. It's intense. I don't watch a lot of TV. You need to. Do I? Yeah. Let me try to okay. get you I'll on I'll go back that. and look at that. It'll change your life. Prison Not really. Break. Okay. No, How prison, many seasons did it's, it go? I think three. But, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to keep running, especially because they keep getting caught. But <laughs> in the end, it's this story. It's these guys. Mm-hmm. But there was a bunch of them that got out. But they were all – some of them were murderers. And it was a bad deal. I did like 24. Yeah, I love I watched that. I do too. I watched that. That was very good. But I get really anxious, which is kind of what we're talking about today. I, do you get a little anxious like when they end another day? Do you ever watch it on Netflix? Do you like binge watch? I did. On, I, when I got started on that, I was a couple seasons behind. Yeah. And so when we started, my husband and I would think, okay, just one more. And then yeah. you'd go, no, got to no, watch the next no. one. Yeah, that was got addicting. See, we started it just on a vacation one day and watched like four in a row. Mm-hmm. And it was bad because by about the fifth, not even season, one season, fifth show – my kids were like terrorists shooting people, <laughs> and we just decided TV's bad. Yeah. Someone's going to die. Interesting. They all die in the end. They always do. Thank you, Kathy. Well done. Uh, you know, anxiety. Do you ever feel like you're just anxious? And have you been diagnosed? About 20% or so of the population have been diagnosed with anxiety. But some people are just shy. And uh, shy is different. Shy is going to be different than actually having a social anxiety. We'll be talking with an expert doctor. David Shanley will be joining us. He's going to walk us through the differences, but also help us understand what are some things we can do about it. Seven ways to overcome shyness and social anxiety. Stick with us, folks. Just giving you the tools you need to make it through life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Hey, welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, are you the wallflower at every party? Is your go-to routine at social gatherings to find a nice corner and observe the general festivities over the rim of your party cup? Mass attention may not be your thing, or is it maybe just a daunting task to get yourself to a social gathering? You know, there's a safety in staying at home, isn't there? And if you have anxiety, the idea of social interactions, uh, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. According to the ADAA, which is Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders affect about 18% of the population. That's about 40 million adults in the United States. Joining us today to give us some tips on overcoming shyness and social anxiety is Dr. David Shanley, a therapist who specializes in the treatment of anxiety disorder. Dr. Shanley, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. Uh, first off, is, is there a difference, just for the average listener, is there a difference between being a shy person and actually having social anxiety? So if uh, yeah, I think there is. Uh, it's mostly in the severity. So people could be a shy person and maybe it only affects uh, one or two areas of their life. Maybe they don't really like, uh, maybe they don't like huge gatherings with a ton of strangers, but 
uh, in, in smaller groups, they're still able to interact uh, fairly confidently or be be comfortable around people they know know well or they like. Uh, whereas to get the, the social anxiety disorder, um, the anxiety has to be persistent for a longer period of time, uh, really be affecting several areas of your social functioning, whether it's at work or personal relationships, um, at home with strangers. Hmm. And so, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, I mean, it really is with anxiety, then it means you also have a pretty strong kind of emotional reaction, don't you? You, you really feel like fear. You feel you're maybe an elevated heart rate. It stresses you out. Exactly. Yeah. It, with the anxiety means your whole that whole anxiety response is happening. Like you said, the increased heart rate, maybe the heavy breathing. Uh, people can really feel like they're having a panic attack when confronted with some sort of social situation. Uh, sometimes that's limited to just uh, public speaking, giving a speech, or giving a presentation in front of a class or in front of a job. Uh, but it can really permeate to lots of different areas, and that's when uh, we would probably give somebody a diagnosis of social anxiety disorder. Hmm. Are um, are more women diagnosed with this disorder, or men? Is it an equal opportunity issue? How does that play out? Yeah, I you know I haven't checked the statistics recently, but I believe it is. Uh, it's pretty much an equal opportunity uh, <laughs> condition. Yeah, uh, yeah, it can affect both men and women starting from a young age, uh, really, yeah, just depends on the person. But it, there's no no protective factor like that. And, I mean, is it – so what seems difficult about it is – and we have a child that was diagnosed with social anxiety at a very young age, and his just manifested by going to – well, when we took him to school, we had taken every other kid to school, you know, uh, kindergarten, drop him off, had a great moment. There was a little anxiety there, but whatever. You hug him, you go away. But we had one mm-hmm. child that it manifested right then, and he just wasn't going to have it and literally was afraid. And, and you know, as parents, we coddled it, and we were like, oh, come on. We'll, and we, t- we sat with him for a week or whatever. Eventually, when we got the diagnosis, it was like you have to the, – the, the therapists were telling us, you really just need to leave your child. You just need to kind of – let them get used to this situation, and and we did. So, question is: Is social anxiety something they overcome, or is it just something that they're going to live with and just continue to have to learn skills around? Does it go uh, I away? It some, uh, I believe it is something you can overcome uh, if you take. The treatment to the full extreme to the extent uh, it's something that can go away uh, over time, yes. Uh, but, yeah, first and foremost, uh, such as with the child not wanting to go to school, not feeling confident um, when they get left alone in a new place with strangers, yeah, that's going to be hard for them for a while. Yeah. Uh, but, but with some kids, it, it may only take a week. It could take a few months. Uh, but if they get, if, you know, as your therapist suggested correctly, yeah, you leave them there, you put them in the situation, you have to almost kind of force them to, to confront this situation that's really anxiety-provoking for mm. them. Uh, but 
through that experience, then they learn that, oh, okay, I can handle this. I can handle feeling anxious. I can handle this new situation that I thought was going to be really scary and debilitating. And if they have, if they have a you know, relatively positive experience or if they keep doing it over time, then they, they learn themselves that, okay, I can handle this. I enjoy this. Hmm. And maybe it's, maybe it's no longer an issue. It seems like one of the things at first he started crying. He was he was, you know, agitated, very angry about having to go. But then what I noticed uh, when I would see him suffer anxiety as he got older, it was more just he had an aversion. He just he didn't really want to go to anything like, you know, when friends would go have a party. He really didn't want to go when he had a new audition for a music thing that he loved to do. He didn't want to go. It was always kind of an aversion. And. So it could manifest in a lot of ways, right? Anxiety, angst, tension, but also just kind of somebody that just doesn't want to go or is maybe underperforming. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's where it kind of blends into um, being introverted, Mm. where there are uh, people who just the way they're wired, they don't. They don't get that energy from social interactions. They're not a positive experience for those people. Some people just prefer to be alone or they prefer to be in very small groups or really know the situation well. They're not, they don't like the adventure of meeting people and talking to a bunch of people. And that's not something that necessarily someone's going to overcome in the same way. Yeah. They might live the rest of their life just not really enjoying those situations very huh. much. Well, that's such a hard thing sometimes as a parent. If you're more of an extrovert, you'd be like, you need to go play with your friends. Go play with your friends. And you keep yeah. kind of adding more stress to your child, don't you? Right. Yeah, exactly. So we always got to treat the individual and really listen to what their needs and wants are. Um, and it's not just about yeah, trying to force somebody or force somebody to become an extrovert like everybody else. Yeah. But hopefully give them the tools and the support to to feel comfortable to at least go to school or take care of these main areas of functioning, whether it's work or having some friends, some social interaction. What's the tie to anxiety? I mean, I always hear that anxiety and depression are kind of, you know, stepsisters or something. Um, what is the tie? Do people that have anxiety tend, more, be, tend to be more prone to depression or how does that work? Yes. Yeah. I think uh, that's a kind of a nice analogy. Use stepsisters or step siblings. Um, exactly. So you can imagine if somebody's feeling or experiencing a lot of social anxiety and they start withdrawing or isolating, uh, not having a lot of social interaction, not having many friends, maybe they've stopped working or going to school. Uh, yeah, they're going to start feeling depressed as mm. well. Uh, humans are naturally social beings. Uh, we need that social interaction of some sort. So somebody who's withdrawing and isolating from that is likely going to feel depressed. Uh, whether it turns into a full depressed episode, uh, that's going to vary from person to person. Uh, and similarly, though, and kind of in a cycle, if someone's feeling depressed, then they're often feeling less motivated to yeah. go out and try new things or to push themselves uh, in new social interactions or to try a new group or to try to get a job or something like that. 
and then they're going to, if they keep avoiding those situations, that's going to increase their anxiety yeah. as well about ever getting moving and getting started on something. It's just, it's a web, isn't it? And yeah. and, and then all of a sudden they're anticipating that, oh, I'm getting behind. You could see that in schoolwork. But this can also manifest just with our coworkers, with ourselves, with our husband or a spouse, right? As I mean, all of a sudden, you your husband never wants to ever go out with your friends and go out on, you know, social events and social activities. It could very well be they just have a bout of, I mean, they're just going through some social anxiety. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it would be more rare for it to kind of come on all of a sudden yeah. out of nowhere. You'd probably see it, like, start to notice a pattern like, ah, I don't feel like going out this week mm-hmm. or I don't want to do this thing. And then after a few times in a row, then um, the anxiety could get worse and you might start to notice you have more resistance from your partner. Yeah. We're talking again with David Shanley, uh, who is a therapist that specializes in the treatment of uh, anxiety disorder. He is also uh, a clinical psychologist and um, has done a lot of uh, clinical work at the University of Denver Health and Counseling Center, also some work at the University of Colorado Boulder Counseling and Psychological Services. Go check out his website, drdavidshanley.com, drdavidshanley.com. When we come back, we're going to get into an article he wrote, Seven Ways to Overcome Shyness and Social Anxiety, that was in psychcentral.com. Stick with us, folks. We're going to give you the tools up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about shyness and social anxiety. Joining us is Dr. David Shanley. And uh, if you go to his website, drdavidshanley.com, doctor is drdavidshanley.com. Uh, it's a great site, just some, some wonderful tools for you to help you understand your shyness. So if you're, fa- if you're facing that issue or if anybody in your family is uh, he also wrote an article that we found in psychcentral.com, Seven Ways to Overcome Shyness and Social Anxiety. Dr. David Shanley, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Great to have you here. Talk to us about some of the things, the, the, the ways that you teach that we can overcome shyness and anxiety. What are some of the tools we could use? Yeah. So the, the main thing is to really uh, get out there and start practicing. The mentality is uh, I'm not going to, I'm no longer going to let anxiety be the boss and run the show. Uh, I have to start acting. Uh, if I want to go after relationships or social interactions, I have to do it. I have to practice uh, even when feeling anxious. Hmm. So the idea is kind of make room for some of the anxious feelings, bring them along, uh, we can't change all of our thoughts and feelings. Uh, so instead of trying to get in a, a battle with ourselves about, oh, I should, shouldn't feel this way or I shouldn't be having these thoughts, uh, put your energy instead towards getting out there and doing something that would be interesting or meaningful or valuable to you in some way. The feelings so, are natural, right? We should have a little bit of anxiety about certain, like, you know, having to get up and, and give a speech. 
it's just I guess in the with somebody that has anxiety, they their body just brings on those feelings all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I often tell people. If it's something you care about, uh, of course you're going to feel anxious about it. You want it to go well because it matters to you. Right. Whether that's giving a speech or uh, an important social interaction with someone or going out on a date maybe with somebody who you really like. Any of those things can definitely elicit anxiety. Uh, and, uh, and a certain subset of the population is going to experience that anxiety more intensely than everybody else. Mm. And so... The tools with that is to really practice being with those feelings. Um, so that come, that's where uh, the mindfulness piece kind of comes in. Okay, cool. So I encourage people. Mindfulness is simply uh, defined as awareness. So being aware of your body sensations, your thoughts, your feelings, and then really engaging in the present moment in front of you. So, okay, I'm not going to, like I said, spend all my time trying to fix my thoughts or my feelings, but I'm going to put the energy into this interaction with this person, uh, direct my attention back to the speech that I'm giving or back to the information that I'm trying to convey to somebody or back to the conversation I'm having with someone. And and it's it really is just, it's kind of mind over matter, right? Just recognizing what you're feeling. I mean, I guess... Being able to call it, you know, you're suffering, you're going through, there's your there's your anxiety, there's your typical response, and what are we going to exactly. do with it? That's yeah, cool. Right. You can label it, you can notice it, and that helps. That can help also give yourself just a little bit of space uh, to still act a little bit more freely mm. instead of feeling like the anxiety is com- completely consuming you uh, and taking you over in that moment. The, the shift in the mentality that I try to help people have is, okay, I can have the anxiety and I can still give the speech and I can still go to this party with strangers, <laughs> yeah. introduce myself. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And most people both. won't even know. Most people, it, it's an interesting thing about, we always think everybody cares, <laughs> like that, oh, I'm blowing it. Oh, they're noticing me. But I, I've just noticed a lot of people, they're just so into themselves. Nobody knows you're anxious anyway. Exactly. You know, I've uh, I had an experience where I went to uh, a friend's wedding from college, and I had run, ran into some friends from college, and I was telling them at the wedding, you know, yeah, I used to, uh, you know, I was feeling really anxious at times during college. And yeah. they're like, what? What? Really? Like, we had no idea. <laughs> but you're a smart doctor. Like, yeah, exactly. They, right. Um, so, so that comes along then with some of the other strategies of you can act confidently first. Yeah. Uh, and the feelings of the confidence are going to come later. So if you, you really practice um, putting yourself out there, projecting your voice, making eye contact with people, uh, talking to them, going after the situations you want, uh, that that's definitely what I've encouraged people to get going first on the actions and then they'll start, then they can start to learn that, Oh, okay, I can do this. Even when I'm feeling anxious, all these thoughts, the social anxiety is telling me that everybody's going to judge me or I'm going to fail. I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to be embarrassed. Yeah. None of those necessarily come true. And even if they do come true, they're not the end of the world that anxiety would kind of have us believe. Yeah. I used to, I used to, in fact, I just was telling my son this, 
I had a rule that any time uh, somebody would say, okay, we're going to now do this, who wants to go first? I always had a rule that I'd always go first. Because really? not not that I wanted to, not that I was good at it, but I didn't want to wait around watching everyone else go. That would just make me more nervous. And everybody, then everyone would have to kind of relate to how I did it. So if I did it funny or if I did it well, then it's their stress, not mine. I didn't have to respond to them. They had to respond to my approach. Anyway, it it was a great strategy that actually got me through college because I was the first to try everything. And every teacher all of a sudden thought I really was like into the class, but I never really was. It was just a technique. Yeah, no, I think that's a great one and uh, very applicable to the college students who may be feeling anxious about having to answer questions or speak up in class. Yeah. Uh, and when really, if you just take it head on, uh, you get through the anxiety a lot more quickly and you teach yourself that, okay, I can do this. Is that what you mean? One of your seven ways was to engage. Because that's just like jump in instead of instead of disengaging and kind of floating, you're saying jump in, get in, engage. Yeah, exactly. And it, it comes from this idea that uh, it's anxiety and, vo- and avoidance go hand in hand. And the more you avoid, the more anxious you're going to feel. So mm-hmm. the best way to combat anxiety is to combat avoidance. And that's through direct engagement with the things you want to do. And with social anxiety, the great thing is you have 100 different opportunities to practice throughout your day whether you're engaging with people uh, at a store, running an errand, uh, small talk with someone at work, um, just saying hello to people, whether you're going to the gym or going out to a restaurant or a social activity, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, You can really just keep practicing going up to people, talking to them, talking to the people you do know, and maybe taking those conversations a step further than just a quick, hi, how are you doing, and leaving. Yeah. Oh, that's a great. I mean, it really is because the more you procrastinate it, you just set up a bigger wall to overcome. You just keep adding more dirt to the wall. Right. Yeah. And our mind is not our friend always in that case. And it will build up that wall so high that then it feels like you can't do anything about it. And that's when when that social anxiety, that's what really differentiates some people because they've been – They've just gotten buried by that uh, by that wall, essentially. You also say try new things, um, and this is probably goes a little bit with engagement. But try new things, even if they make you anxious. Try it. Uh, why? What's the what's the what's the belief there? Uh, the belief there again is that uh, you know anxiety is going to be telling you you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, so if trying new things is going to force you to get out of your comfort zone, it's going to force you to confront some of that anxiety. And the best way to get through this is practice, practice, practice. The more you do it, the easier it gets. So if you're trying new things, then you're really uh, facing that social anxiety head on because trying new things is one thing most people with social anxiety are definitely not going to want to do. They're not going to want to go to a new group with completely new people, potentially trying a new skill where they're going to not succeed right off or it's going to be difficult for them or they don't know if they're going to be good at it or bad at it. It's so true. about people judging them and getting embarrassed. So uh, it's really about engaging with that head on uh, and you can see results really quickly that way. And you can imagine how many things in the world have, have been left undone 
Or how many great gifts weren't offered simply because someone was too anxious to dare to offer it? You know, how many? Exactly. And it's it really, I mean, there's probably just so many people that have quietly been suffering their own fears. And, uh, man, that's something we gotta we got to work on, isn't it? Um, talking right. to helps, too, I'm assuming. Just having someone to talk to, opening your mouth. Yeah, uh, do you mean just informally, or do you mean like talking to a therapist? I guess it could be both, couldn't it? I mean, just learning to start sharing your feelings, your fears, your concerns to friends uh, could help. But I also assume if you have really strong uh, anxiety, you probably might want a counselor, somebody you can go in and and you can trust to talk to. Exactly. Yeah, uh, because, again, when this stuff is just swirling around in your own mind, it's going to make you feel worse. It's hard to make sense of a lot of times. Uh, you're going, a lot of times our minds are going to blow it out of proportion. So if you maybe you can share with a friend, hey, you know, I'm feeling kind of nervous about this thing coming up. Yeah. Uh, they can help you get through it. They can offer you some support, maybe make a joke about it. Uh, and you just get a different perspective. You get you get a little bit uh, more flexibility just in your own thinking and the way you're feeling about something, which is going to give you a little more space to then go after it uh, and start doing these things and engaging more. You know, we talked about um, we talked about a couple of days ago on the show just the power of your body language and mm-hmm. and just you know having a, and displaying a confident body language, it, it impacts your mind, right? So sitting up straight, being confident, walking in with a, you know, strong, you know, straight back, all of that, strong handshakes, hugs, stuff like that. It can all help to boost the situation. Yeah, definitely. They've, uh, they've done studies where they asked people to make a smiling, uh, you know, face themselves and just use those muscles to smile and they had one group not doing that, and they showed them. I, I, I'm forgetting some of the details of this experiment, but effectively doing the the action through your body language first actually changed those people's mood hmm. for the positive. So similarly with this, uh, changing your body language to be more confident can actually lead to feeling more confident, as well as you're going to get the reinforcement from others in the world around you seeing you as more confident, yeah. which is also going to make you feel more confident, more relaxed in the situation. People are going to be, you know, seem more approachable, more friendly, which people pick up on. Yeah. Um, again, we're talking with Dr. David Shanley from drdavidshanley.com. Uh, as we wrap this up, Doc, what would you say, you know, what's the one thing? We always like to ask for the one thing that makes the biggest difference. What What's the one thing that makes the biggest difference for Somebody that's that's daily, day in, day out, suffering from anxiety or shyness. What what should they be focusing on that would make the biggest difference in their life? Uh, I would really encourage people to to find the the one thing that matters to them most in their life and see is ask them you know is anxiety getting in the way and do I want to do I want that to be the situation in my life? Because it really doesn't have to be. If you're willing to feel anxious, you can go after anything in your life, particularly as it relates to social anxiety. So if I really want uh, more friends or a romantic partner or this job, 
do the things to get yourself to get out there and do it and go after those things hmm. um, and accept that it's okay to have a racing heart and be uh, short of breath or having some panicky feelings, some racing thoughts. Those things are not the problem. Avoiding what you actually want to get out of life is the problem. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then you lose, and then the world loses your great offering, your great gift. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you again, uh, Dr. David Shanley. Go check out that, his website, drdavidshanley.com and, uh, and read that article, seven ways to overcome shyness and social anxiety. And, And if you know somebody that also might be suffering with shyness or social anxiety, send them a copy of it, just forward it and, uh, see if, we can't start listening to each other a little bit more. We, you know, there's too many pre- people in this world hurting and yet have so much to offer. And uh, you, you might be a really important part of that, whether it's your family, your, your children, friends, neighbors, what have you. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll do a coach's corner, talk about some other just interesting uh, insights and takes that uh, you might want to be looking for when it comes to social anxiety. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. To the Matt Townsend Show. Anxiety and uh, shyness, depression, everybody, everybody brings and, and I, I believe receives a different scoop full of life, right? So within each of us, we've all got a scoop. You get one scoop. In your scoop is a big dip of the DNA, and uh, some of it is going to bring just different trials, different issues. Some of you may get anxiety or depression. Some may get attention deficit disorder. Some may get all of them. Some might get, um, you know, you might have just a, a really difficult environment you were raised in. Some might have uh, issues with just believing in themselves, self-esteem type of issues. Everybody comes to life with a different set of challenges and opportunities. My personal belief is everything you need is in your scoop. Everything you need to grow, to develop, to become uh, who you need to fully become, it's all there in your scoop. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to naturally be able to get an education because you might have to fight for that. You might have to go figure that out. It doesn't mean that everything's going to come easy for you. But um, it also does mean that you're not going to be able to just dodge life and not have a challenge, whether it's anxiety or whether it's someday cancer or whether it's you know marital issues with your partner. Every one of us are going to face some trials, and one of them that I think is really subtle and difficult that that we don't always understand in our partner is is anxiety. We don't get why our partner never wants to go out to social engagements. They, and if they haven't been diagnosed with anxiety, don't think that they don't have it. But there's signs, right? There's there's pretty obvious signs that somebody is is anxious if if they feel a lot of stress about stuff if you notice they're constantly worrying if they never seem to relax or their mind is constantly stewing over certain issues and problems they probably have some anxiety and you can just you know 
I've got anxiety, and then think you're going to deal with it. But if you're not actually dealing with it, you're not dealing with it. So many clients that I see, they have an anxiety issue or an attention deficit issue, and they never actively work on it. The thing about each of these issues, there's not always one fix. There's not always one pill that fixes everything. There, but there is a mix of, of education, of information, of learning, of training, of meditation. There's so many different things you can learn to knock it down and to figure it out. Many people that have anxiety are the ones that maybe need a drink after work to calm themselves down. You see a huge movement now in trying to legalize marijuana across the country. Many, many, many of the people that would just love to do that aren't just partiers. Many of them are probably anxious people that know that that drug helps them. But it's just a drug. So we can either go medicate our anxieties or we can learn to do something else with it. Uh, how many how many stars and, and um, actors have we seen die tragically and their lives were also connected to other drug issues? A lot of the, the actors have anxiety and depression. It's really one of the reasons they're such incredibly creative people. Some anxiety and depression issues could probably foster creativity. They foster empathy in many ways because you, if you're depressed and anxious, you might be able to feel and understand what others are going through. It's a, it's a curse and a blessing simultaneously, and most of our issues in life are. But don't just sit back and think, yeah, I've got it. Be learning actively how you're going to handle it. I've seen people that quit going to their church. They quit attending church because it's too stressful. Going to church is stressful. And this was before there were shootings at churches, right? It's just stressful because I don't want to go to a prayer circle and have them ask me to say the prayer. I'm not a praying kind of guy. It induces too much stress and anxiety. I have a son coming home from an LDS mission, and I have a son going out on an LDS mission. And if you're supposed to leave and go be social and talk to people for two straight years, if you have a little anxiety, that's pretty overwhelming. So, I mean, when you think about a trial of your faith, that's the trial. Overcoming your own insecurity or your own anxiety. Now, we got to notice the feelings are normal. And, and also another powerful thing is I've kind of found once we can name it together and every like you and your spouse get that anxiety is the issue, instead of talking about what makes you anxious, just ask one simple question. Okay, honey, it sounds like your anxiousness, or I, we just call it worry to my son, sounds like your worry's kicking in. How are you going to handle that? And then let's just deal with how we're going to handle the anxiety. Instead of fighting about the teacher that's stupid and the tests that aren't fair and life that was wrong and da-da-da-da, don't get into all of that junk. Just start focusing on, hun, that sounds like our worries are kicking in. How are we going to handle it right now? And then just work on what you can do right now. One of the big rules for anxiety that I've learned when I coach couples and people, stay in the now. Most anxiety is not about right now. It's about tomorrow. Most anxiety is about this afternoon. Most anxiety is about the next hour. Even on my show, when I feel most anxious about interviewing somebody, it's usually not even in the moment. Once they're in, I don't usually have anxiety. I'm just with them now. But when I'm worried about them coming tomorrow, ah, it's so scary. Stay in the now. Now is the number one way. Staying in the now is the number one way to get rid of your anxiety. 
If you want to get rid of your guilt, then get out of yesterday and get back in the now today. The more we're in the now today, the more powerful we are. You can't live your life yesterday and you can't live it tomorrow. You got to get in your life today. And when I'm in the moment, in the moment, in the very moment where I'm supposed to be and where I'm actually living and, and learning and growing, man, a lot of my anxiety goes right away because I can handle right now. Tomorrow's a whole different game. Interesting stuff, folks. That's the Coach's Corner. Uh, reach out to those that you know or think have anxiety. They need you. They need you to be uh, you know, a guide on the side, not a critic, right? We'll take a break, my friends. Come back for the next hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles will be joining us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Got a great show for you today. Uh, we'll be talking with uh, Kim Giles, our uh, one of our great life coaches from ClarityPointCoaching.com. Got to go check out her website. We'll be uh, talking with her. We've also got, of course, headlines. Uh, Sports Nation will be uh, finding out what Spencer did on his vacation. He was gone forever. Find out also what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Really, remember, our goal is to give you all the tools we can. We can't live your life for you. You know, we're not politicians. We are here to to help you find the good in your world and then turn it into something pretty amazing, something very uh, powerful. That, of course, is our goal, and we do it every Monday through Friday. Remember, if you uh, have a hard time listening to the entire show just because you're in commute, you're traveling, you can find us on podcast. Go to iTunes or tune in. And uh, you can just download the entire show, the program, and then when you find something you really like, forward it on to the people in your life that need it. We're here to help you be able to do that. What an interesting thing I found. Uh, by the way, now, Ben here, Ben Wasden's doing everything he can to just stay on top of it. He, James Forever, James Birdsall, I, we raised him from a pup, we brought him to maturity, and then right when we got him mature and skilled, he done left us and just just left. I think he went to an internship. But uh, filling in is Ben Wasden, uh, who is the man, the myth, the legend. Ben, I've got a question specifically for you. Yes. Because you used to live in Hawaii. That's correct. Do you like the spam? Do you like spam? I, I actually really do a good moose. Well, my family, we love spam. Okay. It's, it's, and I don't know what it is. There's something I love so much about it, because when I chew a piece of spam, I can feel my heart like tighten. Well, it's all this and tingling it, right? goes right down the left side of my body, but for me that's called yumminess. But uh, did you hear that they just they're now turning um, spam into snack size spam? So you can now, according to Hormel Foods, you can get the canned meat, cut up into bite sized pieces, put in a bag, and dried for you with special flavors like teriyaki. Beef jerk, like it's it's basically trying to compete with the beef jerky world. But you can get bacon, mm, bacon spam, teriyaki spam, or just classic spam, 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 spam. Well, like everyone in Hawaii is going to be excited. I know about that it's cause... huge. I knew you'd like it because throw a little pineapple on it and yummy yum. You got a perfect lunch. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, I, that's for you. So when it comes out, I will get you some of that little uh, pork shoulder piece of honey in heaven. Uh, we're going to go to our headlines now. Who better to walk us through that than our own Kathy Aiken? Another shift in the search for the two men who escaped from the New York prison over two weeks ago. Police are now searching in the mountainous area west of the prison where a cabin was broken into in the last 24 hours. DNA from the escapees has reportedly been found in that cabin near Wolf Pond. Those in the Plains and Midwest are bracing for severe storms today. According to the Weather Channel, there's an elevated tornado risk primarily in southern Wisconsin and Michigan. Illinois, Iowa, and Indiana are also in danger of seeing tornadoes. Church services resumed yesterday at the Emanuel AME Church in South Carolina after nine people were killed there last week. Hundreds of people filled the pews in a show of solidarity. 21-year-old Dylan Roof confessed to the shooting. Meanwhile, the killings have reignited the debate over whether or not the Confederate flag should be removed from state property. Republican State Representative Doug Brannon plans to introduce a bill to remove the flag. For some, it symbolizes intolerance and white supremacy, while for others, it represents the sacrifices made by thousands of soldiers from uh, South Carolina during the Civil War. The body of a former White House chef was found last night nearing a, near a hiking trail in the Taos Mountain area in New Mexico. 61-year-old Walter Scheib had been reported missing after he went on a hike June 13th. Scheib was the chef under Presidents Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. 21-year-old Jordan Spieth is now halfway to the Grand Slam of golf after winning yesterday's U.S. Open. Spieth beat Dustin Johnson by a single stroke and became the youngest U.S. Open champ since Bobby Jones back in 1923. It's amazing. It's incredible. It really is. It's incredible to win a major championship, and you only get a few moments uh, in your life like this, and and I recognize that. To have two in one year and and to still be early in the year, uh, that's hard to wrap my head around. Next up, the Open at St. Andrews next month. And Matt, I know you watch that. What yeah. a, I don't know if you call it a choke. Would you call it a to- choke? Some <sighs> people calling it a choke. Dustin Johnson. I don't know. He had it. Yeah, that's, I mean, but man, I don't know. I guess they're already used to that level of pressure. Yeah. But that's a whole that? other oh, level, it yeah. seems like. So is the it a choke? The majors are a whole another level. It, it actually reminded me of Greg Norman. I don't know if you remember this back in 1996. He had yeah. that six-stroke lead going into the final uh-huh. day and, then just and ended up losing by five. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, was a, that was a complete that was a choke. choke. That, that was a big choke. And he was, he had, he was more... You know, he was he had already done that before. He had, yes. He he's just, never won a major in the United States. Really? Which I didn't know that. But yes, he's won the British Open a couple of times, I believe. But Well, that is such a mind game. And Golf if you've just, I mean, one game. bad shot and yeah. your whole world can come undone. <laughs> well, look at Tiger Woods, look how his game is completely, yeah. completely gone downhill. It's just, it's really, it's just such a tough sport. And it really, that's interesting because just with a, an injury or two yep. and then... A couple of bad rounds, and you do. You just disintegrate. Yeah. But you, the, the sad thing is you disintegrate in front of everybody. Huge, huge audience. Like, I we was just disintegrate in, few, in front of a few thousand people. <laughs> they disintegrate in front of everybody. Yeah, when you have, a, what, a 13-foot putt for eagle, oh. and then just, what, a four-foot putt oh. for birdie. Oh, my goodness. When that went past, we just about died. We thought, well, we're going to have an 18-hole yeah. playoff we today. Here we go again. You know, looking forward to that, and wow, that was really... Really, uh, but unfortunate. To, he, his first putt, thirteen foot, only got he was four foot out, so he only putted. I mean, that's like nine feet. He was way short. Yeah, three putting thirteen like, feet out is not. What good. are you thinking? Yeah, like, exactly. I could three putt that, but not in front <laughs> of all know. those people. I don't know those greens on that course. 
Isn't that amazing oh, too? That they was, turn them yeah. up and down. They they water them. They underwater them. They dry them out. That They've got some cool tricks. Kind of an ugly ugly course looking at at least from television yeah. i don't know if you're there in person but i don't not. like that link style that, that just uh, you know what and i didn't see on the entire course i didn't see a windmill nope or i didn't see like the windmill that knocks the ball out of the way i nope, those weren't there uh-uh. yeah you know they need maybe more next month in scotland yeah or, i bet they'll have this, one over there. is st andrews in scotland am i yeah, getting that right i believe it is i scotland. believe it is in okay. scotland yeah maybe you'll find him there man miniature golf love to go one in doubt one day scotland let's go let's do it let's do it i've got a friend over there now We'll go there. Okay. So we'll get on BYU to send us there. I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. Kim Giles is in the house from uh, our great uh, friends at ClarityPointCoaching.com. She is the head coach. She's here to, to help us understand ourselves a lot better. Stick with us, my friends. Got a great show coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Kim Giles is joining us. Kim is named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America back in 2010. Since then, she's also been named by the Matt Townsend Show as one of the top advice gurus in the intergalactic region, uh, which is multiple uh, planets and galaxies. Yeah, that's impressive. You're not believing that, are you? Well, you hit her bouton. <laughs> okay, now I'm on. That's, uh, you, you didn't know you were... We nominated you for that. But you, you're you a big deal. You write, 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 write. And everybody just thinks, you know, she's just a guru. She knows everything. But there's one part of your life that I know that maybe not everybody knows that you've actually lived and you're killing it, I think. Blending families. <laughs> you've taken his kind of hers and made them ours. And it's one of the hardest things I've ever seen in marriage to do. It is. It's it's difficult, but I'm really fortunate. My husband is just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I got got really lucky. Well, he got great stepkids. Yeah, yeah, but it's a challenge. Because what's the challenge? Because it's just love. You know, we mommy, daddy love each other. You all should just love each other like we love you. I know, you. and I watch all these couples get into these blended families, <laughs> and be, and they really believe that because they're so in love with each other uh-huh. that it's just going to work. That's how it works. And it is so complicated. There's so many issues, and and you know the the numbers play yeah. out. That seventy percent of these second or third marriages Don't where work. kids are involved end up not working. And it's even hard. Yeah, where kids are involved, kids make it harder. Because Much kids also keep you tied to the ex. So the ex that you were already struggling with, you still are they're still in the li- their world. They're still part of your life. You're seeing them regularly. Oh, you're like when you marry somebody, their ex is now a big <laughs> part of your world. And you know, when you get married the first time, it's just do you do you and he click? Are you yeah. compatible? Are we but good? now yeah. it's is he compatible with each of my children? Because uh-huh. some might hit it off with them and some don't. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, how big of a pain is his ex to deal with? And do my kids like his kids? And then do the kids like each other? Because if they hate uh-huh. each other, that's a... Plus just the dynamic of the, the the thing that led to the divorce in the first marriage. There's a system at play. There's a dynamic. There's a power struggle. 
That doesn't go away with divorce. No, and most of us think a new partner, it's going to be totally different. Yeah. But unless you have learned some new things and really grown and changed, done a lot of work since your first marriage, chances are you're no. bringing all the same things you did wrong right. into the new one. Well, and most people don't do any work. They just kind of accumulate. They just kind of assume it's – it was just a bad deal. I actually read a bad. study, Matt. They said 80 percent of people entering these second marriages do nothing yeah. to prepare oh. themselves for the complexity oh, of the challenge. Be than that. No, 80 percent. And there are some great books. Yeah, yeah. There's experts. There's classes. There's things you can go to and read and learn to prepare yourself for the challenges that are coming. And if you see them ahead of time and you already had a game plan, you'd be a lot better oh, yeah. off. But nobody does that. Do you sense – is it just that they don't think – is it because they're caught up in chemistry and everything seems blurred and, and wonderful? Or do they really just think it's not – going to be a problem. Why would they not get I, I more think help? I they're just naive to how complicated yeah. it is. Yeah. They ha- they haven't sat down and really looked at the issues that are going to come up. Yeah. So I really recommend to people l- learn, research, take classes, and at the first sign of any trouble, get some professional yeah. help involved. And maybe assume you're going to have to do it the whole time. Like we think that, well, if we'll get in there maybe a year. Within a year, we'll be a team. We'll be one. But well, I've had experts on here say I'd, I'd, I'd almost give up the myth that we're, we need to be one. Yeah. The marriage <laughs> needs to be one. We can love your children, but all of us may take 15 years it to really, get everyone on board. That's what they say. You've got to assume – I mean not even five years. Yeah. I mean it's, it's going to be years. a long haul for this family to really gel. It's, a, it's relationship building, but a lot of times it's loaded relationship building because – Oh, you're the one that's replacing my mom? Yeah, well, that's not happening, so good luck. Yeah. So you almost need some maturity to take place. Grow up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I think there are some tips we yeah. could give people out there because I, I know when I've written articles about this in the past and we've talked about some of those statistics, people write me that, well, that's so depressing. depressing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm more discouraged than ever. But, but there are some things that you can do to – see some of the problems and and deal with them. Um, One of the things that's been important for us to remember is that on some level, we're both still single parents. Right. Because in our home, I am still the only parent of my children. Yeah. And he's still the only parent of his children. And that means a lot of the time he has to take their side. He has to be there for them. They have no one else. Right. Yeah. He's their advocate. Yeah. And I hear a lot of people upset that, well, our mayor, our our relationship as a couple should come before the kids. Well, that yeah. may have been true in your first marriage right? that it needed to be that way, but it's different well, in yeah. a second marriage. Well, especially because there, you can want whatever you want, but your child's going to inject whatever they want. So if they want their relationship with the dad to be first right now, they'll do it. They just throw a fit. They just have yeah. a problem. They People want their needs met. So you just need to be more mature than the reactive the most well, the reality is you are going to be stuck between making your spouse and your children happy often. Yeah, yeah. And one of them is going to be disappointed. And this is a really tough position to be in because you don't want to disappoint or right. have either of these people mad at you. <laughs> but you can't please them all. Uh-uh. So what do we do? One of the things that's kind of helped us is to just be aware that there will be times my husband has to choose his kids. And there will be times I have to choose my kids. Yeah. And knowing that, I'm a little more forgiving when those moments come 
and kind of allow him to put his kids That's cool. first. Yeah. You could even make that kind of – you could turn it into a phrase or something so it's a cue to each other. Hey, babe, right now I'm just going to – this is one of those times that I'm in that rock right in the hard place yeah. is the way we describe it. That's right. Well, yeah, give me some slack on this one because this is a real <laughs> rock in a hard place. Yeah. And and I also think it's important you understand disappointment and frustration mm-hmm. is going to be part of this. It's what you signed up for. So there's going to be a lot of times where I want to do something, but his ex-wife wants him to do something for his kids right. and it messes up the plans. Well, that happens often. (laughs) And I hear a lot of people who say, oh, this resentment is just building up because I keep having my needs not important. And so I'm just resenting him. And you've got to understand resentment to me isn't just a feeling. It's a choice. Mm. And I, I want everybody to be accountable if you're choosing to resent that this is the this is yours. The, this, this is, is yours. The complicated this isn't the, thing you signed up for. This isn't the natural byproduct of what's happening. It's what you're doing with the na- with the event. The event's just an event. But if you're going to turn it into anger and frustration and resentment, yeah, you can that's experience it that way yeah. if you'd like to. But yeah. you do have other options. Yeah. And and I've had to kind of let go and learn to be a lot more flexible and mature and understand I'm going to be disappointed. On a fairly regular basis. Yeah. So how do I want to live with that? That's great. And you've got to own it because you can't hold on to this resentment and blame your spouse oh. and make them the bad guy if you want this marriage sure. to work. Well, and or just keep barking at the ex. Because in the end, if you're still barking and the ex is still the bane of your existence and your partner's existence, and they're now ruining every vacation because of all these things, then um, you're just you're becoming like them. Like you're not. Yeah, on some level, you're, you're. You're not. You're just. You're actually letting them lead. Well, and I could see my poor husband in the middle between these two women who are both <laughs> making demands on Help. him. That's a hard yeah, position totally. to be in. And and there's times I want him to stand up to his ex more. Yeah. Um. But there's a cost on his children yeah. if he does that. And then the ex will make him the bad guy. And, you know, it, yeah. it, it's complicated for him. And so there's a lot of times that I have to choose to be the one who's going to be disappointed and let the ex be happy. Right. Because I love him enough that this is going to make his life easier. And I've found the more that I'm willing to do that, the more the man adores me. Yeah. Adores me and wants to do things for me. For you. So it, it pays off. It serves it you. But it also... You also don't have to carry the venom. You're not as – you're impacted, but you're recognizing this This is me learning. I'm now, I now get to handle with more – I get, now get to handle with more frustration. Right. And so, get you better know, at it. I talk a lot about how fear affects all yeah. of this. I think fear of loss is the biggest emotion that causes problems in these relationships because every time I get gypped or disappointed right. or frustrated, I feel taken from Ugh. And that's that fear you of owe loss. Me. Yeah. Yeah, here I'm the one being mistreated again, and it's all about this unfairness. And I see that happening in between our children, too. If some of them get something and the others Mm -hmm. don't, there's this unfairness. I'm losing out. (laughs) They're getting – so all of this jealousy and fear of loss is a huge piece of the contention. It's true. And and so for me, I've had to decide – that my life is a is a classroom journey. I'm here to learn and especially learn to love. And every one of these type of situations that shows up is today's chance to practice 
not being attached to loss and jealousy, but to to be in, in abundance yeah. and, and be in a place of love and generosity and give to them and not hang on to what I'm losing, but actually give it to them as a gift of love. Yeah. And so it makes me better and not bitter but see, when those things happen. But, oh, so you're just going to enable this person that's so messed up to just keep messing you up and then you're calling it pretty. Well, okay. There are times you, you're you going to have some boundaries and yeah. there needs to be a balance. I don't want to tell anybody you need to just be the doormat no, all no, the time. No, and that's, that's not, not what healthy. you're saying. But you're saying learn, develop. Make You still get to choose how you respond to it, but you may also be dealing with dysfunctional people. They, yeah, I mean, they divorced for a reason. There's no win That's here. right. And, and there's just some people that you're, you will never win with. And if they're your partner's ex, I guess you can keep battling them. You can keep taking you, them to court. You, you'll just be miserable. You won't get anywhere. Or you can though. just, you know, play out the clock. <laughs> just yeah. know that we and, at 18. And I have kind of a situation like that. Yeah. So I... There, there are rare times that I, I ask my spouse to honor what I need, and then an equal balance of time, I'm just going to support him yeah. and be mature and flexible so that we'll have a good marriage, and that's more important. You bet. Happiness at home. Well, see, it's, it's, it's a really interesting little dilemma, and we'll come back and continue the discussion. We're talking with Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com. you got to go check out her website. Again, more free stuff per pound than any other website uh, known to man. But uh, come back. We're going to continue talking about blending families. It's a long-term play. It's a long-term play. And really, it's a lot about your development, your growth. Stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. In the house is Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com, one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country, according to Good Morning America. And uh, she's teaching us today about blended families. Really, I think it's, it's, it's almost a near impossible task to meet everybody's expectation. Oh, yeah, that's impossible. So unless people For are going to sure. adjust expectation, this is a really long road. <laughs> but it's essential because marriages fail and you got to figure out a way to make them work you got to and, and to i'm hearing them. a lot of people lately who are saying don't even get remarried till your kids are out of yeah, the house that was and dr lara's old advice line that is and i i have people who are are living by that and it's kind of sad yeah. because that's a lot of years to be lonely you can do this folks yeah. but you need to do some work to learn how to that's do right. it and don't just go into it blindly well and get assume that help. this is going to take years like 15 and assume that it's still going to be about you changing and learning and adjusting. And you always Not fairness. will do better in any marriage, I'm sure you uh-huh. would agree with me, if you work on your own self-esteem, yeah. work on your issues, learn some communication and relationship skills. Always, yeah. I mean, honestly, if you want to have a good marriage, you should always be learning more relationship and marriage Right. When does that skills? end? I mean, even Never. as a grandparent. Great. I mean, I mean, yeah, I didn't even think of that. But blending families impacts grandparenting as well. It impacts everything you're Everybody. doing. 
It's huge. <laughs> it's huge. So especially with a blended family, though, you need to learn how to have mutually validating conversations yep. with your spouse where you can both really be heard about how you're feeling and what you need. If you don't know how to have mutually validating conversations, there is a free worksheet yeah, on my on website. Deal. Exactly. But it's a powerful <laughs> how tool. how to do it. Yeah. And I encourage everybody to learn that. And then as a team, you've really got to decide what the rules in your house are going to be and what the consequences are going to be. And I think you should get the kids involved yeah. and, and all together as a family decide what those rules are so that the consequences, the, everything mm-hmm. is laid out and agreed on ahead of time. And don't you think they're going to create harder rules than you might ever create? I mean, they're not just going to be slacker rules. No, because as, but if as, you get their buy-in, they're right. also more likely to honor that's it right. if they had some say uh-huh. in what it's going to be. And then as much as possible, I would always have the natural parent of that child be the heavy. Yeah. Now, on occasion, that parent isn't there. Right. And if that's the case, then the step-parent has got to step in to enforce the rule. But you have got to do this in a way that makes your stepchild feel respected and cared about. Yeah. I think the biggest issue that I see over and over and over with these families is a step parent who's been a jerk and, you know, really disrespectful to those kids in the way they've handled yeah. it. Well, it, is, it takes one of those situations and the stepchild hates you. Done. And then things are going to be really rough. Game forward. on. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. It is. I like the idea, too, that let, let your partner discipline their children. You're as here to love them. As you can. You're here to love them. And then there will be the case, and I'd even negotiate that. What should we do when our child is needs some correction or the op, my spouse's child needs correction and you're not around? Well, and honestly, every parent needs to start learning how to discipline in a way that still makes your child feel yeah. loved and respected. It can be done. You right. don't have to blow up and scream and berate anybody right. to discipline. You And if we've already got the rules and we've talked about it, you'll have a lot of stuff to fall back on. Just go to the rules we all talked about. And what the consequences That's are. Exactly. So here's the consequence. Yeah. This is what we said we, we were going to do. Le- I'm just going to do let that. The consequence teach the lesson yeah. and not your anger be yeah. part of it. Because then all the kid focuses on is what a mean mm-hmm. parent or step parent this is, and they miss the lesson anyway. Yeah. And the, hey, if you want, we'll talk about it again. Let's just wait till your dad comes home and we'll reopen this up. But right now, I'm just going to go with what we said we were going to do. Absolutely. So I really think mutual respect between everybody is key. Yeah. And, and I've told my kids, especially when Patrick and I were very first married, they didn't know him as well as yeah. I did, right? And so they weren't sure yet if they liked him. <laughs> and I said, you know what? He's got to earn that yeah. over time. He's got to earn you to like him. But in the meantime, you do have to respect him. Yeah. And he has to respect you. And so, you know, we talked a lot about what that looks like. It's great. And on both sides. It, it is something that kids need to know. Is That part's required. You don't have to like them, but you do have to respect well, them. great. You just say, so if I had a magic wand and all of a sudden everyone respected everyone in this house, what would it look like? And have them each draw up 20 things. Well, if my father or if my stepfather respected me, he would do this, 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 this. Oh, that is awesome, Matt. And if my stepdaughter did this, she'd do this. And then we have a conversation and some well, he'd buy me candy whenever I wanted it. He'd be well, we don't see that as respect. We see that as whatever, spoiled. Spoiled, yeah. And we're not trying to create spoiled, we're trying to create respect. But then have the discussion. And now your husband has a guideline for what this young woman wants. 
Absolutely. 20 That's cool. And, you know, as a step parent, I think you do have to go a little above and beyond yeah. to win them over. And right. my Patrick has been so good at that. On his way home from work, he'll text my teenage daughter and say, hey, I have to stop at the gas station. You want a candy bar? How cool. And I mean, just He's, small I'm thinking about things you. like that yeah. have met, made all the difference. What a smart Being guy. Thoughtful, it really made a difference. So oh, wow. kind of assume you've got to go out of your way to show these kids that you respect them and care about them and you're there for them. And this isn't about replacing their natural parent. Right. But it is letting them know they've got a caring adult who is there. Which is the benefit of blending. Because you now have two sets of parents if they're healthy and caring. And two sets of grandparents each side. So you have – it's twice the fun. It really it has and twice the opportunity. It's twice the birthday presents That's and right. the Christmas too. It's so true. Twice the score. <laughs> it's true though. Yeah, There's there a benefit be benefits. to that. Um, any other advice? I mean we set up the rules, set up some guidelines, involve everyone in it. Make sure your partner is the one. They, they discipline their child. You discipline yours. Earn respect. And then give your partner a lot of slack in the fact that they've never done this before. Yeah. And learning to be a step parent is very different than being a parent. It's going to take some time and you got to work on it together. I believe any good marriage is between two good forgivers. I think that's so true. And so we got to forgive each Mutual other. Mutual forgivers. And then as as the adults in the family, we've got to be quick to apologize. And when you do blow it, Make sure you apologize to the stepkids. I've had to do that. I, I remember a day when I kind of lost my temper. Yeah. And going to them and actually apologizing, I didn't handle that well, and that's not who I want to be. Will you guys give me another chance? You know what? You can make up for oh, the mistakes sure. you've made if you're willing to do that. And I know there's people out there that are, that are thinking, huge. I've already blown it with mine. They hate me. Um, that's You huge. can fix it by showing up mature and loving and being willing to oh. – and, and be loyal to the absent. Uh, Covey used to teach that. Always show loyalty. Even if you really disagree with the ex, they're still the mother of these kids. So the, if you start overtly showing you're not with their mother. Well, I'd never say anything never. negative. Be loyal. Ever. Okay, just yes. be loyal to – well, great. Uh, and if you have an issue, talk about it offline. <laughs> Go talk to your husband and his ex. Yeah, not in front of the kids, for sure. Because it's weird. As a child of divorced parents, I didn't know. I kind of like both my parents. Well, everybody's you know supposed I mean? to like both your parents. And even when my mom was still mad at my dad or whatever, I still, whenever she was mad, I didn't understand it because I like both of them. So don't make me choose. And if you if you don't get him, then you don't get half of me. And it creates this really weird little power struggle. Yeah, you know, anytime you badmouth anybody, it makes you look bad at the end of the day, too. So let's just be kind. Can't we all just get along? Can't we? (laughs) Such great advice. Kim Giles is her name. Go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com. She has an entire blog, 250-plus articles probably by now. One of them is an article on blended families. Or are you just finishing Um, it? Actually, there's four on there. How much blending do you need? Okay, just well, kidding. we need a lot of help, <laughs> a lot. so there's That's a lot of really information there if anyone needs more help. Tons of information there. And again, per pound, uh, the most advice, free advice, per pound. Kim Giles, thanks. thanks You're Matt. the bomb. Bomb it's de Leon. to be here. Good to have you. We'll take a break. My friends, come back. Talk to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. I do believe I saw Spencer Linton in the building. So it's going to be hopefully Spencer and Jerem today. We'll find out uh, what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. Particular spam item from the spam menu would spam 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 uh, a great segue into um, our good friends down at BYU Sports Nation in Studio B. Hello, Jerem and Spencer. That just sounded like chaos. Did it sound like chaos? Yeah. Th- that's the spam song. Yeah. Do you guys someone's, like spam? Someone's back, by the way. Is Spencer there? Hello, Matthew. How are you, Sonny? Oh, I'm just trying to find out what meaning I have left in my life. Spam. <laughs> that's all the meaning you need. That's all I need. Where Where were you? Dude, I was in Miami, and I got my phone and my wallet stolen 10 feet away from my person. What? I am so sorry. What happened? Do you want to fill us in? Maybe we can have an APB. Well. An all-points bulletin looking for your wallet and your phone. The police report is filed along with the other 5 million that have been uh, filed in my, the city of Miami Beach. Did, uh, has, is somebody using your identity yet? No. Or did they find out who you were and they're like, ugh. No, I stayed up until 4 o'clock in the morning canceling every credit card, putting out fraud alerts. No way. Yeah. That'll ruin a good trip. But you know what? I refuse to let it ruin the trip. See that? Positivity. Yes. You want some good news? I would love some good news right now. Uh, Spam snacks. Spam snacks. As in like spam. Mm -hmm. Spam in a can, but no longer in a can. If you want, they're going to turn spam into a small bag of, of little spam nuggets. And it will sell like hotcakes in Korea. I ate so much spam when I lived in Did Korea. Did you really? I and... would like tuna treats now. <laughs> are, I, I've seen little tuna things. <laughs> you don't want that. Um, <laughs> spam in a can, it's uh, basically they're going to cut it up into pieces, dry it, put it in a little bag, flavor it. You can have uh, teriyaki, bacon, or classic spam. And uh, then you can actually pick the impact of salt you want. If you want it to harden your heart instantly, that's going to cost you more. <laughs> it's, uh, why, why, <laughs> why would they make that? Aren't there enough no. just snacks? Because beef jerky is killing it. And why should beef get all the fun when there's billions of little spam animals that are running around <laughs> and they have to go be cold? I don't know if you know that. The spam is an actual animal. It's not a cow. It's not pork. It's a it's spanimal. It's span spanimal. Why spanimal? Why just? You think this thing's going to sell? Like, is, mm-hmm. they like really think it's going to be successful? Spamamized yeah. at this point. Yeah, it's it's spamification. Mm. And Come it's you, you. I sense you don't like it, but think about this. What if they could have taken had a choice between your wallet or your bag of spam spam nuggets? <laughs> would you? I bet you they would have taken the spam nuggets. <laughs> Choice is yours at Chuckarama. <laughs> I'm guessing they would not have taken the spam. Oh. Well, yeah. I'm trying to help you out, but now you're getting all negative. <laughs> it's, it's sad. It's, it's sad. I've never felt more violated in my life. I'm sure. Well, here's the thing. I couldn't even, like, I had to go through probably an hour. I'm not kidding. I was talking to TSA for an hour. Oh. I didn't have a license. <laughs> They're like, who are you? Do you not have any other picture identification? They stole no. it. No. 
No, I had to pull up myself on the website on BYUTV.org <laughs> for the lady. She's you're like, so oh, you're vain. on TV? Okay, you're you so can go vain. through. But you know, that's the only way you could get through. That was, it was ridiculous. I'm like, wow, I really have to play this card? That oh, is... my goodness. My life has come to that. I'm desperate. This is pathetic. Yeah, but they let you through. Oh, yeah, great. And they're like, you better give us a shout-out on a show on Monday, Fort Lauderdale TSA. First, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> now they, now you won't be put on the no-fly zone that, or the oh, no-fly list. Goodness. Well, that is tragic. I'm sorry. What were you doing in Miami anyway? I was on vacation celebrating my 10th anniversary with my sweet wife. Brittany. Oh, my heavens. Did you try the moons over Miami? I did not try the moons over Miami, but I did have several, <laughs> several amazing... Uh, meals, meals, did you? While I was over there. What? Yeah. Uh, it's just, so you were just sitting there. Somebody took your wallet. You were ten feet away. We you, were in the swimming pool. I uh, turned my back, and then yeah, you had just gone off the high dive. Then it happened. Well, when we saw the surveillance footage, they had two scouts come by. They're called scouts. Yeah, they come by with flashlights, uh, or they're using their phone flashlights to like look and see like what bags are around. Oh my it was, heavens! It was in the evening. Yeah, and so. One went by, another came by, and they all, I was alerted to all of this by the security, the hotel security. Like, oh, oh yeah, let's go, those are scouts. And then they have someone sneaky coming that's smaller and quicker. And uh, turn your back, gonzo. Ah. Yeah, amazing. Luckily, amazing. They didn't, luckily you weren't packing heat. <laughs> that would have gotten ugly if you had had your gun in the pool. Well, I had the, you know, I had to find my iPhone app, and so I could track it. And they're oh. like, do not chase them. What like they were they were adamant. Do They'll kill not, you. Do yeah. not go after them. Yeah. I was, I was like, wow, this is really this why? Is crazy. Did they get your wife's stuff too? A kid in British Columbia just went after some thieves and took his phone and he was yeah. shot. Oh yeah. my heavens. That's so good, that's a good reason. That's good. Right there, yeah. that's just a great shout out is to your everybody. Life worth like two or three hundred bucks. Is that all you had in there? Yes. Yeah. As Marv Albert would say. Yes. Yes. yes! Jordan. Yes. Anyway, but no, we decided. The funny thing is, like, I asked my wife as we were driving home yesterday. Um, not from Miami. We flew into Vegas. Yeah, good. Um, take up my four-year-old from the in-laws. Uh, was so your we're, was we're he Vegas home, gambling? And I said, "What's your what was your favorite part of the trip?" And she said, "The fact that we lost our phones." Oh, that's cute. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It talk about like relationship status. Like, yeah, you have. You are forced. You have to talk. That sounds so talk to each other twenty four hours a day. Yeah, that's yeah. I bet you guys really got to know each other, (laughs) which is funny because that's what uh, we feel like. You know, life after this will be. That's right. Wait, what? What? I want to have sports or Twitter. No, they'll have. Doesn't sound as fun actually. They'll have. They'll have phones. No, it was great. You know, and you just pay attention to everything. You look at everything. You notice everything. It's like you're in love again. Well, yeah, yeah. See. you not just with your all wife, you need is like, love with life exactly. with the scenery around you and like everything that's going on. See, of like I looked at everybody on the beach because we didn't have our phones. You know, yeah, they're they've all got their heads buried in their phones, and I'm like, all you you're need staring, is love. You're staring at the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean on Miami Beach. Are you kidding what me? What are you doing? But see, you, I was made you, for love and you, baby. You. Oh, I thought we were doing the no, Moulin Rouge thing. No, no, we're not. Jerem. No, no, okay. Jerem, we're not. I thought we were doing it. Uh, he's been he's been unruly, Spencer, since you left. He's My done nothing. Yeah, he's In done the nothing. Name of he's love. he's been singing every song show tune on earth. He's amazing. Hey, um, well, you've turned the frown upside down is what you've done. I learned that in little in a kinder or what's a primary class. Turn the frown upside down and smile that frown away. 
You know what? I even smile when I'm angry just because of how my mouth is shaped. Yeah. Angry. Like the lady like behind the, the counter is like, wow, you're amazingly happy for what happened. Thank I'm you. Like, well, I'm not wearing a hockey pants. Well, I'm sorry for you. Uh, it's all good. I'm back to work, and that's exciting. We had a huge show today. What are you going to do today? You're still doing the show? Oh, yeah. Okay. We're going to sports so hard today. We're doing the sports show. Sports so hard. And specifically yeah. about the next big thing at BYU. Maybe you heard about Jordan Spieth. Yes, okay? I did. I he heard a little, little something majors. or other. Yeah. He's $3.6 million richer because Holy of those cow. two tournaments. Yeah. He's 21 years old. He was labeled as the next big thing in the world of golf. Yeah, yeah. And now he's just the big thing. Yeah, he's just the big thing. So we're asking who is the next big thing within BYU athletics? Who? Which who? athlete? Who? Who? We, we will tell we made you. a list of about 15 oh, on the program. Wow. Yeah, there are this 15. Is cool. Okay. Or more. Yeah. Qualifiers. That's, that's so, a great tease. We're also going to talk to Omar Morgan, who is the hero of the 1997 Cotton Bowl. He intercepted the pass at the goal line to preserve BYU's yes. win on a New Year's Day bowl game and get them to an NCAA record 14th win. Mm. You're talking to him. This guy was the man. Nicknamed Dude. the Electric Blanket. Oh, sounds cozy. Omar Morgan. For what's considered to be... One of the greatest teams in BYU history. Maybe the second best team. National yeah. championship team. And then this 96 team went 14-1. and one. Started the year by beating a highly ranked Texas A&M team. Finished the year by beating uh, a top 15 Kansas State team. That's, ooh. That's a, those were good he days. Was, he was a three-time CFL All-Star. So yeah. that, that's it. That's it. That's the show right there. We've got some other guests uh, possibly lined up. Yeah, but uh, whatever. We'll tell you if You'll they get uh, yeah. join us today. Well, guys in the news. Did you hear about Tyler House? What? He's hoping to be drafted Thursday. Well, yeah. Chances are it's not going to happen. He's signed uh, with the team in the uh, Spanish League. I did not hear that. If if he doesn't sign an NBA contract before July 31st, he'll sí. play in the Spanish League. Yep. De verdad? De verdad. Do you want to hear the name of the team? Yes. Obradoro Club de Amigos do Baloncesto, which... The Working Club of translates Friends. translates exactly to Workshop Club of Friends of, of the <laughs> Basketball. That's Boy, it sounds like the group that took Spencer's wallet and phone. <laughs> Those man, those those uh, Obrador. Those aren't de amigos. I sent all, all sorts <laughs> of text messages to those thieves, man. Uh, have like you been you evil, I, evil people? I was sending all sorts of stuff. But you can go shut down your phones, right? You can go. Yeah, it was you, just sad. Yeah, you know, not sad. It's like, a sad oh, day. Man. But again, it was a good thing because you moved on. Yeah. Well, well, guys, have a great show. We have a great show. And Spence, when you're done, come on over. I'll I'll work. I'll help you process this. Okay. When you're done, we'll just talk it through. Get you back to your happy place. Thank you so much, Thanks, Dr. Guys. Matt. Thanks, guys. Spence, Jordan. Thanks, Matty. Have fun. Jerem, bye. Sing me out. Um, totally cool. Man, that's tragic to lose your stuff. Don't you think? Like, that's a big deal to lose. To not lose it. To have it stolen. Oh, people. People. Okay, so let's go to the hero. We always like to end the show on a positive note. Hero of the day is an anonymous citizen who performs secret act of service for a neighborhood kid. A man living downtown who chooses to remain anonymous posted this on Facebook just a few days ago. On the south side of my house is a parking lot for low-income apartment uh, complex owned by Home Forward, the city agency. Every afternoon and evening, there's a kid in the parking lot uh, that is dribbling a basketball, working his moves, his crossover, his stutter step. The only thing, there's no basket. So he just dribbles and then, you know, kind of fakes this shot. Uh, and uh, just has to keep dribbling. So I'm wondering if I bought a decent hoop off of Craigslist and he anonymously inst installed it in the little cement slab where it looks like a hoop should go. 
He, he was wondering if the city would take this hoop down because of the rules, you know. The kid is out there right now in the dark, dribbling and taking ghost shots. I think he needs a hoop. And just a few days later, the same man posted a picture of the young man dribbling a basketball around a brand new basketball hoop. All the caption said was, mission accomplished. It's these kinds of things that truly make a difference in the world. And again, I love it because it's anonymous. It's anonymous. The guy's not looking for attention. He's not looking for fame or fortune. He saw a need. And isn't it sad he had to worry, will the, will, you know, will the city take away my basketball hoop if I get it for this kid? How cool is that? That is, a, that is an anonymous person that's going to change the life of a teen. Somebody he doesn't even know. Now think of the benefit or the joy to just sit there and look down and watch the boy shooting hundreds or thousands of shots. How powerful is that? Folks, that's the good, right? That's the good. So we hear the bad. Spencer Linton losing his wallet and his phone. People stealing it. Or the good of a guy just seeing the need in a teenager and making it happen. Folks, that's the goal of the show is to help you see that there is good out there. You are part of that good. So please continue uh, continue the legacy. Go start making the difference in your world with your family. Make the decisions you need to make. We appreciate you listening to us. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until then, be good, stay strong, and uh, make it a great one. <laughs>